Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Slightly favors the right footer here, but Griffiths, having got the goal, goes again. Okay then, a Hamden Road episode this week with a voice that I think everyone should recognise. It's Rory Hamilton of Scottish Football Commentating fame. Rory, welcome. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to it. I know you're a big Scotland fan. Um, I've followed Scotland around uh, to various away trips and a lot of home games. So looking forward to hearing your opinion and memories on various things that have happened throughout the years. Well, uh, we'll just catch up quickly and, and ask how it's been for you over the past few months. So I would assume it's been quite weird. Uh, yeah, it's been very strange. Uh, you know, a season that it finished uh, with the Rangers-Leverkusen game at Ibrox. And then I think pretty much all football was cancelled uh, the next day. And it was funny, like going into that game, there was a feeling sort of around like the VT trucks and chatting to everyone before the match there was almost a feeling that it might even be that this game doesn't go ahead, even as late to kick off as that. We really oh. weren't sure. There was all sorts of murmurs of of UEFA perhaps about to make a statement. And of course, that never came. We did the game. But I think at that stage, even though the next leg, I think it was to be the next week, we knew that the next leg wasn't going to take place. So it was quite a strange... Um, strange game to go into and then of course with you know domestic football being curtailed at that moment as well um yeah it's been it's been pretty quiet work-wise there's not been a lot of football to commentate on um or to to get to because a lot of football's been done uh, off off tube and things like that but you know i would have needed to get down to london for that which isn't really a possibility uh, i did newcastle aston villa last week which was great to to get out of glasgow um and and just just do something different and see some see some real football even though there weren't any fans at st james's park 
I saw you having a, a wee dig at Chris Sutton actually considering you were working with Robbie Savage. Was that a bit different? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, although because uh, because everything is so much more strict, you know, usually before a game we arrive about four hours before kickoff. So there's a lot of time to to sit about and chat and, and see how you want to do things. But because it's a lot more strict at the moment, I think we arrived at St. James's Park about an hour before kickoff. And Robbie and Matt Smith, who was presenting, were sort of going through all their pre-match stuff. So I, I really only got about 10 minutes with them at the top. And then by the time that I was up in position, Robbie was doing all his uh, all his presentation stuff. And he then just had to run up the flights of stairs to the commentary position. So we didn't actually have that much time sort of off air to to get to know each other. But uh, it's, always, uh, it's always nice to have a an opportunity to have a dig at Chris because he certainly gets in plenty himself. Yeah. <laughs> and you, I suppose you might, working in the industry, you might have had a, a heads up or maybe been able to predict easier that the playoff against Israel wasn't going to go ahead and therefore the Euros were, were going to be cancelled. You you had a trip planned for the potential final against Norway or Serbia, didn't you? That, that was really disappointing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if I necessarily had any in sort of industry insights or knowledge i think i think most people were just putting two and two together that uefa held off a long time on those games and i, I sort of found that quite surprising I, I thought it was fairly obvious given the situation you know not just not just here in europe and, and the rest of the world that those games were were never going to go ahead at, at that time um so yeah we'd uh, not being presumptuous that we would beat israel because you know we're all Scotland fans and and we know never to presume that you're going to get a victory when you when you need one but you know in that sense you had to try and plan a trip in advance anyway that you might have a game Uh, so we had you know you would you would expect Norway probably to have beaten Serbia at home given their uh, their home record over the last few years is just just incredible and with Erling Holland playing the way that yeah. he is as well we were sort of thinking you know surely they're going to win but what what we did was <laughs> a bunch of sort of sky scanner searches to find airports that would service belgrade and oslo uh so and also then one that we could connect to from likely edinburgh i think it was edinburgh so we'd booked flights edinburgh to vienna and then we were going to do the sunday night in vienna and if norway won we had a Monday morning flight. Oh, it was a sort of Monday afternoon. We gave ourselves a little bit of time to wake up and just freshen the heads a little bit. Uh, <laughs> Monday afternoon flight to Oslo, which was like, it was something like £12. It was ridiculous. And one of our other mates who, I don't know, we might we might get into the sort of characters that you travel with, <laughs> one of our other mates who's notoriously bad at organising his own travel. And I just say to him, look, just... Like, give me your passport details and I'll book you on what I book because I'm not going to mess it up like you mess it up every time. <laughs> and he'd booked he'd booked a more expensive flight, but was at, like, I think he had to get to the airport at four in the morning, which is like, what are you doing, mate? <laughs> um, but anyway, if, if Serbia had won, then you could, you could get from Vienna to Belgrade, I think, by train, bus. Mm-hmm. There's a way that you could do it over land. So, so we sort of had both cities covered I, that was a trip that i would yeah that would be a, a good one I'd oh yeah, yeah 100%. That 
the the biggest detour to get to Norway I think I've ever heard of, mind you, <laughs> down to Vienna and then <laughs> yeah. back up. Yeah. <laughs> right, given that it's so accessible as well, Norway's yeah. there's tons of flights on Norwegian Air, especially that you can get there pretty easily. But nah, you've got to make these <laughs> things interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Let's crack on with the Scotland chat. Then you're just telling me before we started recording, you've got vague early memories of Italia 90 um, that would be your first international or Scotland memory then yeah yeah I would say so um, I, I, I've not not got anything before that I don't think and then 1990 I would have been uh, primary two um, so I would say that's that's really the, the first but my my dad wasn't really into football at that time, so he didn't so he didn't really expose me to it. But then, obviously, you get to school, and then you've got mm. you've got loads of mates. Um, and I, I, like, and at that stage, I started loving playing football as well. So, uh, yeah, nineteen ninety, I would say, is probably really my first first real memories of of watching football. But I would say not really having a great grasp of the understanding of yeah, okay. of what was going on I, I'm more like I remember the the shot of uh, I think it was Mo Johnson lying on the ground with his head in the grass uh, after they'd failed to beat Brazil was it it was either they, the Brazil or, well. it, might, was it, it was maybe the Sweden game it's maybe the Sweden game because I remember Thomas Ravelli standing over him that's that's just the shot that I remember from that from that World Cup from a Scotland <laughs> point of view. Like it's it's funny because I would have been right into supporting Scotland obviously at that stage, but I remember watching I remember watching the semis and the final and mm. penalty shootouts. I remember seeing Packy Bonner oh, yeah. uh, in, the, in the penalty shootouts and things like that. Um, the group stage is less so. I remember. I remember my mate's house that I watched it in. But, but <laughs> once we get to '92, then then I'd say the memories a lot stronger on the on the games themselves. I was I was going to to bring up '92 as well, just there actually, because it wasn't until I started doing this podcast that I realised that when we were at the Euros in 1992, it was only eight teams. I had no idea that it was it was later on that it was increased to to 16. And looking at I was like that era. Scotland had a, a decent squad, but but to be qualifying for the Euros with eight teams in it alone—that's that's some achievement, I would say. I know, and to think that we now struggle when there's 24, it's <laughs> unbelievable. To, to get in at eight teams like that—that that does show the quality of of players that we had, and and also our, our ability in in qualifying. You know, at that stage, through the through the 80s, our qualification record was was incredible. We're paying mm. for it now, but. Um, to get to a tournament like that uh, with eight teams, that, that that's that's pretty good going. Um, yeah, and playing like the CIS in Germany and Holland. Mm-hmm. The Holland games the one that I remember the most out of that because I remember them from the AC Milan team and just right. seeing these guys as absolute superstars and wondering how on earth are <laughs> we are we gonna play against these boys. Um, and would, the, would the AC Milan lot have been Rijkaard, Van Basten, Van Basten, and Hullet, maybe? No. Yeah, yeah. I'm just, I can't, I can't remember. I'm, I, yeah, I'm trying to think if if all of them were actually there yet. Van Basten definitely would have been. Um, but yeah, they, I mean, they were a cracking team. I remember it coming up on the. It was like the preview of the game for the, or the the build up for the Scotland game and them showing 
Van Basten's volley from '88, <laughs> which actually came up the other day. It was its anniversary. Yeah. Uh, came up on What's Twitter, and I was just, I just had that on repeat all day. I was just like, <laughs> I'll just pin that tweet and just keep watching it all day. And you're just like, you're just wondering how on earth you're you, you're going to beat these guys. But um, after we we gave it a good go in '92, and as you say, with eight teams in there, it's like it's like back then when the Champions League had eight teams, and mm-hmm. still, well, it was Rangers uh, representing Scotland then and 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 doing well yeah the uh the squad the average age back then seemed to be older than it is now i think that's probably just come with the changes that we've seen in football there are people really experienced people in the squad at that stage people like mcstay goth malpass and gorham and there are a couple of younger names here that i've noted down not necessarily younger but more inexperienced international level pat nevin who was in his late 20s but had only been capped 12 times you know, it's quite hard to believe somebody who is like such a kind of, I suppose, tricky, intelligent player just didn't really get a look in because the squad was strong. A young Duncan Ferguson also was uh, taken to Euro '92. Was there anyone that you particularly particularly remember looking up to as a Scotland player uh, when you were just a young boy? As a youngster, I I, I always loved um, Gary McAllister. I just thought I just thought he stood out as a as a very sort of classy, technical player. Uh, very good off the pitch as well, and, and and having met him since is one of the few times that I've almost felt slightly starstruck at work, um, and it and it came out of surprise because it was I think it was a game at um, at Fir Park, and I'm I'm going to go on the assumption that Ali McCoist was late and he was supposed <laughs> to do co commentary and he was late. <laughs> that might that might be a bit unfair, but as Ali would testify he's uh, he's not the best at his timekeeping and so i was i was just doing my like pre pre kickoff chat uh, which is usually about five minutes so reading through the script and chris was on one side and then i was like oh, i was just waiting for ali and he turns up late so they've they've stuck gary in the in the commentary box and i just looked up and was like oh yeah. wow you know that's that's <laughs> one of my actual childhood heroes uh, that I'm now going to sit and work with for the next right. 90 minutes. Uh, so yeah, yeah. I mean, we had we had a lot of John Collins as well. Just you know, a guy from from set pieces was just oh, yeah. was just incredible. Um, Ali McCoyce, you know, these these are guys that I've got on to interview and and then and then work with. Um, we yeah, we had pretty good good squad then at the the. The goalkeeping situation is always one that absolutely fascinated me, and and particularly later on, Craig Brown having to sort of make that distinction between Leighton or Gorham, and I I still can't do it. <laughs> it was a what game was it that Gorham Gorham not make an unbelievable save for Scotland at one point? I, I can't remember. I'm sure I saw it doing the rounds on Twitter as well recently. Uh, maybe that will come back to me. Um, yeah, so. Euro 92, look, what an experience, I guess, being there and playing in a group with Holland, Germany and the CIS. 94 World Cup didn't work out. A tough qualifying group, uh, Italy and Portugal in there. Um, is that That's not something I've heard spoken about too often um, when people recall the Scotland memories, the qualifying for 94. I, th- I think we came close as well, didn't we? Maybe. I can't remember exactly. Um... Estonia and Malta were the other two. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. I, I get. I mean, as you say, it's one mm. that you, you don't remember people talking about, mm. and I can't really, 
I can't really recall much of it, mm. to be honest. Um, the next big one after the Euros in '92 would have been Euro '96. That was the. Yeah. I think that's that's probably the tournament that I think um, a lot of people kind of threw, when they threw themselves maybe into supporting the national team. You know, the Euros on British soil playing against England. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, I would, I would say so. And just, I mean, as you get older and you start to understand football a little bit more, um, yeah, because what for '96, I would have then been like 12. So you know, I, I think when you're in your sort of single figures as a as a kid, you you like it and you watch it. You maybe don't have full concentration and and real full investment in it. But I mean, that said, like the '94 World Cup, I absolutely loved. That's probably my favourite ever World oh, Cup. Oh yeah. Yeah, I think I think just. Maybe particularly being being young, so that would have been what ninety four World Cup. Yeah, it'd have been ten. Mm-hmm. Feel it feels like I was older than that because I remember <laughs> it so well. I've maybe just watched it back so often, but I just remember that like it felt really exciting. Um, and just yeah, like you know, teams like Nigeria and Colombia in, in that World Cup were just so, you know, did it all really feel quite cool exotic? Yeah, 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 it did. I suppose at 10 years old, with the time difference, would, would you have been begging to stay up late to watch some of the games? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, th- I think I watched most of the games in that World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'd obviously taught my dad round by that stage <laughs> being a football fan. <laughs> yeah, let, let's let's chat about the, the Euros in 96 then. Um, what do you recall about that? Because it was a case of so near, yeah, so far for, for Scotland with the Holland getting that goal against England in the the four one game, which eventually put us out um, when when we beat Switzerland. Looking back at that tournament, a draw against Holland, really good result. Uh, lost against England when Gascoigne scored that amazing goal, and then McCoy's screamer against Switzerland at four points from three games, and we end up out on goal difference. It's just the same old. Yeah, and, and you know again, that's that's a really really tough group. Uh, to get landed in because I mean, like you've got the host nation who you're going to have to play at a full Wembley uh, so that was always probably a game that we were up against it anyway but having that as a, a derby game it probably evens it out slightly um, and we were unlucky in that game I mean at, when it was 1-0 and we got the penalty we were on top I, I thought at that stage if the penalty goes in there was only one team winning that because England looked pretty rocked at that stage but then went straight upfield it was it was just like the tables turned so much on that penalty um the dutch game so that was first up wasn't it the dutch game mm-hmm. uh I, I, that do you know what that was a save that came up quite a bit recently on social media it was gorham's he had like a double save against the dutch ah, right, uh, okay. in 96 that was that was one that i don't remember from the time, but saw it recently, and okay. and yeah, it was pretty incredible. Um, but I don't remember us having too many chances. There was a free kick, might have been for them. Uh, <laughs> the, the the Switzerland game remember really well. And how many chances did McCoyst have before? He, <laughs> I mean, there were so many from inside the box where he's usually absolutely deadly and missed, and then bangs one in from 30 yards which is I mean it's 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 one of the great Scotland goals and at that time you know for pretty much the only time you're you're cheering on England and thinking they're gonna do it at 
they were at Wembley, weren't they, against yeah. the Dutch? And you're like, they're, they're going to do it here and do us a massive favour. And then that Seaman led it through from Clivert, was it? Patrick Clivert scored, yeah. 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 And I mean, it, it, you know, you you sort of you sort of say it's same old story and and things like that. I've never been one that signs up to the glorious failure tag. It's when mm-hmm. when my mates say it or like people in the industry, I'm like I will have absolutely none of it. I just I find it Scotland when when you go down that route, it's a defeatist mentality. And okay, yeah. we've had a, we've had a lot of um, maybe tough calls things like that but it, it almost means that you're accepting of your of your failures it's like it's ugh, it's gonna happen anyway yeah i that, totally get that I, I i don't think you know if, if you're a player there's no way they'll take that mentality on. yeah I, I i don't i don't like I, I do agree that it's it's accepting but also i kind of feel sometimes that the, the glorious failure also it's almost like re- relinquishing our own responsibilities, and like it was someone else's fault. Sometimes, like, yeah. Oh, like yeah, yeah, or a, a, some sort of higher power, yeah, that, yeah, that has control over you. And also, the thing is, what if if we got to a final and lost to Brazil, people <laughs> would say, "Oh, our oh, glorious failure." Yeah. Well, well, so so the only way it's that any team doesn't have glorious failure is if you win the thing. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, essentially, everyone fails. Because glorious failure in that instance would have been well, we had such glory, amazing to get to the final, but it still wasn't enough. Yeah. That I bet you they would still term that as glorious failure. So. I, I don't think I don't think you're the the only one. I I do feel that it's a bit of a a lazy narrative almost just to to go, to go along with that. Yeah. I'm kind of surprised. Yeah, that that it still it still exists because since you know we'll get to '98, but since then. You know, it's not even been as good as glorious failure. <laughs> so, so there there should be generations that that are, you know, like, well, what is this glorious failure? Because we've not ex- we've not experienced any glory yet. <laughs> <laughs> how, how did it come about? Was it coined by tabloid or broadcaster? I'm not, I'm not sure when it was when it was sort of first used, but it, it's been going on for a long, long time. I uh, I, I did notice in the run up to Euro '96, Scotland lost all their warm up games. Uh, against Denmark, USA, and Colombia. Do, do you remember leading up to that tournament expectations being low or otherwise? Uh, not particularly. Uh, I didn't actually. I, I remember the Colombia game, um, but I don't. I don't particularly remember that having much of an effect on on you know expectation. Right. Okay. I think. I mean, we had. That that team was a it was a group of players. A lot of them still based in England and then playing in England. I'd have thought they would be they would have been quietly confident. But looking at the group, you know, you're trying to to work out where you're where you're going to pick up the points to finish second because mm-hmm. you know that you're probably going to lose to either Holland or England. So it's likely that you know four points is is probably. Not best case scenario, but I would have said I would have said that would be a realistic outlook at the slightly on the positive side of the scale because because that, that Switzerland team was was good with um, they have Chapuisat and Turkil Maz up front, uh, you know, the really decent side. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely not a gimme that that you were going to beat a side like that. Did you think at any stage looking back 
at that time that it was going it was going to happen. England were going to do the job. Uh, so that's quite an extreme result for them. Yeah, scoring four against Holland. I mean, no way beforehand did I think. I I thought we were probably probably going to have to win three nil mm-hmm. against the Swiss, um, and then and then hope that that England you know would do us a favour. But like I said, I I really rated that Dutch team. It was full full of top quality players that you you know you couldn't see them going four nil down, not at all. Um, so no, I think I think at that stage I before the Switzerland game, unless we could get a couple of quick goals, it wouldn't be like Scotland to go into a game yeah. needing needing to batter a team and make it straightforward and score three in the first half hour and, yeah. <laughs> and then be able to play it out. <laughs> Let's be honest. That, that actually it reminds me of uh, the end of the qualifying campaign for I think it would have been Euro twenty twelve when we had Spain away in the last game. And we had to win and hope that Lithuania beat the Czech Republic. And I remember I watched it at Walkabout in Glasgow. And I remember feeling really passionate and thinking, right, this we could do this year. This is this would be an incredible night if we can snatch something from Spain and uh, Lithuania do us a favour. And within five minutes, we were losing and the Czech Republic were winning. And <laughs> 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 you just started a game over. There's no way. <laughs> yeah. I was at that game. The one in Alicante when we lost 3-1. Yeah, David Goodwin. Yeah. We, we played Spain. Yeah, I was at that one. It was a double header with um, Liechtenstein, mm-hmm. and then and then Spain away, That's right, which is a really really good trip. But did you go um, to both. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Did them both. Um, oh, we were all over the place. We were, <laughs> I think I flew out on the Saturday, which was the day of the game uh, against Liechtenstein. So, and I was in five countries in the one day. So oh, flew. Wow. So it was Glasgow, or it might have even been Prestwick. To Luton, to Switzerland. I can't remember if it was Geneva or Zurich that I flew to. So that was Switzerland. So there's three countries. Uh, train and then a taxi into Liechtenstein was four. <laughs> and then obviously went to the game, met my mates, and then we stayed in, in Austria. And then the next day we went down to Munich, had a night in Munich, and then flew to Valencia. We had a night there and then got the train down to Alicante and then, then back <laughs> after the game. It was, it was crazy. And because you were, it was like hailstones and, and sleet and snow and stuff at the Liechtenstein game. Wow. And then you got to Alicante and it was like 35 degrees <laughs> and you're in a kilt and kilt socks and all that sort of thing. <laughs> Planning that sounds so stressful. No, I, 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 I enjoy all that stuff. <laughs> well, uh, Let's let's quickly then uh, discuss what you remember of the the World Cup in '98. It's actually my first memory. I suppose similar to you with Italia '90, though I would only have been six when this World Cup happened, and I remember loads of people gathered in my front room uh, in Trun, and I remember wearing a Scotland kit, but I remember nothing about the game. Like it was just an early kind of vague memory of watching Scotland on TV. Um, you would have been what? mid-teens at this point yeah, so it would have yeah. been a huge occasion for you and all your mates supporting Scotland yeah I mean to open the World Cup uh, just what what an incredible incredible <laughs> moment that was for Scotland and to be doing it against Brazil which I mean that was just like it's the fairy tale game um, you know, maybe other than how it how it panned out but even still uh, we put we made a really good account of ourselves in that game. And I mean, one of the main things that I remember from that game 
was the teams coming out. And I've seen a few of the players and Craig Brown talking about it. Because uh, Scotland turned up in their kilts, didn't they, before the game? And then they met in the tunnel. And and Brazil did that, the, the linking arms. Yeah. Uh, which is just, that, that's such an iconic... Um, iconic vision of that world cup was a brazilian team coming out like that and and the i mean the players that they had we talked about the dutch in 96 but the players that that brazil team had i mean they were real like world superstars uh and to be going up against them and we gave them a, a decent game i mean we lost a goal from a corner which <laughs> i mean <laughs> scotland if you'd have thought one thing that they can they can probably do is defend corners against uh you know a brazil team but it was a big cesar sampao that uh that got the first and um but it, i mean we we played well we deserved to get back into it with a penalty john collins showing you know a bit of bit of class a bit of yeah. that sort of like gallusness that that we needed and you know, like pointing to his his shirt um and of course, like yeah, the, you could say glori- glorious failure with the way it all <laughs> fell down. But you know, it, it's just that that Brazil team—they were always going to chuck everything at us. But um, you know, what a shame for for Tom Boy. Just the just the way it happened was yeah. was really unlucky. Um, it was it wasn't really an an error. One one of those own no. goals where the defender has made a shocking judgment or anything yeah. like that. It's just simply <laughs> hit him and gone in. Yeah, he uh, probably shouldn't. have spent so much time in the gym and maybe maybe it would have come off a shoulder blade or something <laughs> somewhere else but uh if, yeah i mean maybe that whole world cup would have been different had we had we even you know nicked a point because sometimes opening games can be funny like that you know the, the the real top teams can sometimes be slightly slow starters um but then what norway next one one was probably a, a fair result and I think I think at that stage, it was, Burley's goal was cracking in, in, in that game. Really, really good finish. Um, and then to... Uh, we just... And I think as supporters, I, I can't say from inside the camp, but by the looks of things, and definitely as supporters, Morocco were massively underestimated. Oh, yeah. Which, you know, at that stage of football's development, they should have never been underestimated. You know, it's the sort of thing that you expect to hear of in the 70s. And, okay. and you come up against a team that you've not heard of before and, and you don't know any of their players. And, you know, they they absolutely they absolutely turned us over. Did they, did they have a player called Hagi? Uh, uh, Mustafa Hagi that Hagi. Uh, went on to play for... Coventry and Aston Villa. That's right. Villa, was, yeah. And Yusuf Chipo, Chipo and Hadji were the they were the two that they absolutely destroyed mm. us. They were they were they were brilliant that night. I mean, I, I used to sort of joke that Jim Lathan had three assists in that game. I mean, <laughs> he, he definitely didn't have his best night in a Scotland jersey. He had plenty of others, um, but yeah, that was that was a. a, a pretty hard night to take I, mm-hmm. I remember like going in feeling really positive about it and it's like right if we if we won that game we go through um and i remember like everyone actually felt really sorry for morocco in the end because norway got a late penalty against brazil and got a point yeah and and therefore morocco got knocked out and, and morocco had kind of been not everyone's 
dark or not dark horses but unexpected team to perform and and i think it probably neutrals would have enjoyed seeing the way that they yeah, played okay. and particularly against scotland um and they sort of felt harshly done by because i think it was a i think it was a dodgy penalty that tory andre flo might have actually <laughs> he either scored it or was involved in and and the norwegian players were getting absolutely slated because people felt like morocco had been cheated out of a place in the next round but i think i think in the end i, I think it was kind of kind of justified as being fair the going back to the first game against brazil did you feel going into that that ronaldo was the best player in the world yeah yeah oh, yeah yeah, he he's a player I always enjoy hearing about. He, he, I remember him at Real Madrid in the Galacticos team, but from his days at Barcelona and Inter Milan before that, I have no recollection of it. I just watch him on YouTube. But it's it's funny hearing some of my mates from work and people that I know that are in their 30s that all say, no, Ronaldo, hands down, at that stage was unplayable. Yeah, yeah, he was. I think from is it maybe his last or his second last season at Barcelona was just, he was just phenomenal and, and as you say like you, you end up watching I, I can watch that happily every day it's clips <laughs> of clips of Ronaldo in full flight particularly at Barcelona and was it after that was it was he at Inter by 98 I can't remember if he I'm not sure I think I think he maybe was um and even yeah the first couple of seasons at Inter but obviously you know the everything that transpired in that final i mean he he did come back from it um but you know that must have taken so much out of him but yeah at the time I, by an absolute mile he was he was seen as as the best player in the world just pace power could finish from all angles left foot right foot like he had absolutely everything i don't th- i don't think there was a another center forward in the world really for for quite some time that that could could match him i love batistuta growing up he was always my favorite player um and he scored a good few goals in in 98 as well i think Uh, i just love like his he was just raw i just love this (laughs) everything about him he was so good um but yeah ronaldo at that time was sensational and also it was it was a time when when knight had really taken their ownership of the the Brazilian national team. So oh, yeah. Ronaldo was front and center of every poster. You know, like I don't, I don't really remember seeing that kind of marketing for, if you take like the last world cup 94 and certainly not 1990, it wasn't quite as in your face as it was by 98. And obviously now we see it for everything and you've got footballs or footballers plastered over buildings and, mm-hmm. and adverts and, and that 98, uh, Brazil team was they were just, they were so marketed and the the advert in the airport where yeah. they were doing all the keepy ups which was really brilliant that that's one of my memories of the World Cup is watching that that advert uh, and Ronaldo was was by far and away the main man in that. Did you like Craig Brown as a Scotland manager? Yeah 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 I mean I mean we had we had success under Craig Brown it, it's something that you it maybe wasn't appreciated at the time just just how much success we had under Craig Brown um I think maybe well in fact certainly by the end didn't do enough to bring through 
young players, which kind of left Bertie Vokes in a difficult situation, and 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 Bertie got a kind of tough time. But but I think that was because he was following on from Craig Brown, and he did he did bring in the youngsters like McFadden and Fletcher. Um, but he was left with a squad that that didn't have much experience. Craig Brown very much went with mm-hmm. his sort of the guys that he could trust, which I mean that's that's his job. Yeah. His job is to to sort of look after his tenure with with the Scotland team. Um, no, I, I always like Craig, and and I've I've met him and interviewed him uh, countless times since then, and and yeah, he's a, he's a very interesting. He's a funny yeah. guy. Craig, um, yeah, I think yeah. thinks that he's still in his twenties. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was the second uh, interview that I did for this podcast. Actually, and the time that he he spent and and went to me was incredible. They're just such so happy to talk about his Scotland days, and clearly still feels very passionately about yeah. about it. Yeah. Um. One one thing I'd like to ask you about '98 and the Brazil game in general is, I I love talking about moments with Scotland where you can kind of recall where you were and exactly how it felt. And not all of them, like winning goals, like for example Griffiths or Akechi Anya in Germany. Can you remember the moment John Collins scored the penalty? Yeah, I think I was just, uh, I think I was on my couch. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I would have, it would have, I think it was, I think, I'm sure it was a Saturday. So I would have, I'd have, I'd have probably been doing some sort of sport at school uh, that morning, and then uh, like we—I don't think we had a, a boys' club game. Then we may we may have done we may have played football that that morning. I can't remember, but it w- it would have just been on my on my couch watching the game with with my dad, and you know, probably my mum and my sisters would have watched that game, mm-hmm. but not many others. Um, yeah. Yeah, so nothing, nothing actually particularly exciting. <laughs> um, <laughs> I remember it more for '96 being just just in the house, but playing playing golf the morning before the England game. Right, so okay. <laughs> for some reason, I don't know for '98. I'm not sure. The the England playoff in 2000 um, must be one you can recall quite clearly. That is a, a what if moment. Yes. Oh, massively, massively. I I think that the um, obviously going. Two down at home uh, with Paul Scholes. I mean, what a player he was. But we we had great opportunities in that game. Who was it? Somebody went clean through. Was it like a? Was it like Billy Dodds? Or Billy Dodds. Like Billy Dodds. I think he had like two one on ones. Billy Dodds. He said Billy Dodds certainly had a one on one in Wembley. Yeah. I'm sure. Uh, I can't remember yeah. at Hamden. I remember chances at Hamden that that we had, and even if we'd got it back to two one, England England had a had a very good team, but I don't think they really showed that they were much better than us in the in the two games, uh, and particularly the home game. Like I, I I felt like we did enough to to get a draw out of that, to have some sort of parity, and then didn't expect us to go down to Wembley and and really be able to do much. You maybe thought right, okay, if we if we can take it. to one one or two two and go down there and you never know but highly unlikely mm-hmm. at that stage but I mean again we we played surprisingly well down at Wembley fully deserved to go ahead uh, with Hutchison's goal and then I remember it was Calderwood I think I think Colin yeah. Calderwood had a header it was Daly oh was it Daly 
mm-hmm. saved and oh yeah that that's just a that's a, point blank reflexes from Seaman, I think Martin, wasn't it yeah yeah absolutely broken by that mm-hmm. because and I I I think I think England fans would almost admit that that we deserve probably to to go through in that contest maybe not not too dissimilar to to 96 you know at a time, we we got the goal in this instance when we were on top and probably would have gone on to potentially get more uh, and and like 96 on top at, at a time when we should have scored and missed the penalty and yeah, just just didn't work out did it's a massive game in any case a playoff to reach a major tournament but did England games when you were in your mid-teens did they, they mean more to you than, than the average game did that sort of thing resonate with you the rivalry oh yeah yeah definitely I mean because I've also grown up <laughs> loads loads of mates never understood this but I've, I've always grown up being a, as much of a rugby fan as I am a football fan and, mm. and really still am today I would say I probably get I was going to say I get more passionate about the football, but I don't know. Um, and so it was probably, I would say the, that that rivalry with England, I would say has been built more through rugby games that I've watched because it's mm-hmm. every year in Six Nations and then met them in, in World Cups uh, as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas in football, it, it became a, a rarity. I mean, up until the recent games that we've had, it was only those ones in in '96 and and the playoff in 2000. They're the, they're the only games I remember against England. So it it became really special that you mm-hmm. you played them. And yeah, I probably like most kids in Scotland grew up always wanting to <laughs> to be England. <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah, we we won that second leg, but uh, yeah. I'd, I'd, a lot of people sort of celebrate the fact that we won that second leg, but to me, it doesn't doesn't mean anything yeah. because we we lost on aggregate. So yeah, I uh, I've, I've spoken to people in the past. I'm keen to see if you remember this. That say Barry Ferguson was unbelievable at Wembley that night, and again he's a he's a player I remember being very good. But I think maybe I was too young to appreciate how good he may have been. What's, what's your memory of him coming through as a Scotland player? Yeah. Was there quite a lot of excitement? I, I think I think you're right. I think I think he Rangers fans always I think had full appreciation of Barry Ferguson. Scotland fans, I'm not I'm not so sure. Uh, and maybe it's maybe it's because of the way that he played, which was much more on a on a sort of he was a really good technical midfielder. Everything was, it was calm and it was controlled what he did with the ball, uh, which maybe doesn't resonate quite with what Scotland expect of their central midfielder. They expect them flying into tackles and G'ing everyone up. Barry was always a little bit more controlled in that essence, which I think I, he maybe a little bit after that, he was being really highly rated in Europe and it's something I would have liked to have seen him do. I think he would have suited going and playing on the continent okay. in a Bundesliga or something like that, where, where I think uh, he maybe would have been slightly more appreciated. I mean, as I say, like Rangers fans, 
absolutely love him and and rightly so for everything that he did with the club but in terms of just the way that he played i think i think he would have suited that continental style he's one of one of the the few players probably of the last 20 years that that could have gone and, and really played in any league i think mm-hmm. that, that that seems to be the the general impression is again i've got friends who are rangers fans and colleagues who say that he was at that point, one of the undisputed, one of the best central midfielders in Britain, um, alongside people like Paul Scholes or Roy Keane or Steven Gerrard when he was coming through at Liverpool, they all hold him in that regard. It's it, it's funny when when we've had players of of that undoubted quality, they haven't always been appreciated in a Scotland jersey, and and maybe you know you often hear well you know. He, the way that he performs for his club, he never seems to do it for Scotland. Darren Fletcher at times was was one as, as well. Which now obviously it, it, it's different when you're playing for Scotland. You're not going to dominate the ball as much as a, mm-hmm. a Man United or a Rangers were at that time. So I think people people sometimes expect maybe too much of them. But particularly in that that role, which is very much the 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 just the, the central midfielder, you know, not really, not a box to box, not, not a play, uh, well, a, a, a sort of more defensive playmaker, I would say both of those run into mm-hmm. that sort of player takes over possession. Barry was, you know, incredible at, at picking passes and, and choosing his moments to go forward. But those types of players need domination of the ball for their whole team and they need good players around mm. them to be able to for things to live up to their own standards whereas i think sometimes if you if if we had a Barry Ferguson level of player as a center forward they might be the ones then that come up with the moment more often whereas because Barry's sitting a little bit deeper yeah it's not so easy to be the one that is the match winner yeah i think that's it's quite right to point that out that people maybe uh, had false expectations of what they could provide in a Scotland shirt. And I always felt worried that when McTominay was breaking through, because he's a Man United player and a centre mid, people would expect him to be a dy- dynamic, all-action, goal-scoring midfielder. And I'm worried as well, maybe not so much because he's had a lot of publicity so far, but people will expect I know, I know to see him Yep. Yeah. <laughs> when yeah, it's, not, it's not their game. Look, I, could, I think a, a Scotland midfield where... McTominay and Gilmore are sitting and maybe dictating, playing great, but they're not the ones that will be arriving. Perhaps like you would, ex- like John McGinn has in recent games for Scotland. Yeah, it's a totally different style. I mean, if you take if you take Wales for example, mm-hmm. who've got Bale, and is such a talisman for them, but he's he is also a guy who who can get you twenty goals a season. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Gilmore and and McTominay. Are not so yeah. they might get one or two goals in a campaign. Uh, I mean, John McGinn getting seven in the last was unbelievable. That was as many yeah. as the Republic of Ireland. Um, wow. <laughs> but but you know he, he's not going to do that in, a, yeah. in the next campaign. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it it needs to be at the top end of the park that that those guys are or that we find somebody that that can make the difference in those games because. You mean McTominay and and Gilmore? I yeah, you're right. Say we're 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 blessed with a lot of good central midfielders at the moment, 
but essentially those guys are hanging on to possession that's the way the modern game yeah. is those guys are hanging on to possession it's further up that it's it's your wingers and your and your striker or maybe your guy that's sitting in behind which is is a McGinn or a an Armstrong uh, or a McGregor that, that are the ones or Christie that yeah. are the ones that are, are really going to make the difference yeah absolutely yeah we'll keep we'll keep going in chronological order a game that I'm keen to ask you what your memories are is Belgium at home 2-2 yeah when yeah. It, it looked it looked like Scotland had, I think we'd had a decent start to the O2 qualifying campaign drew with Belgium and then in the end that was at five or six games later that was the result that we looked back on and thought yeah if we'd held on there then it was job done um we two nil up against 10 men I think and Belgium scored in the very last second with Van Boyten that's yeah. that's just an, an utter sickener that one yeah yeah, and that yeah, that that is the one that that really cost us. I think. Did we do all right out in Belgium? We had Croatia were in the group also. Yeah. Um. There was a uh, a couple. We had Latvia. That was Brown's last te- yeah. uh, last campaign. Um. It was Latvia, Belgium, Croatia. Um. Let me see if I can. Because the. At that stage in the game, I couldn't see us not winning it, and and that's very un-Scotland. You know, mm-hmm. you're you're always trying to. It might be this a sort of pessimistic outlook, but you're you're always wondering where this is gonna get dodgy. And I, I think in that game, I, I didn't really rate the Belgian team at, at that at that time. I thought this is probably a team we should be beating. We are beating them, ten men, and it, yeah, it should it should be game done. That that'll That'll probably be a, a game that haunts Craig Brown a little bit. I would have thought. Yeah, it, yeah. When he was on the podcast, he did speak about that as if it still hurt him. Yeah, he actually told a story that he was trying to get uh, somebody to. He was in the stand for that game. I think he was suspended or, or something. He wasn't allowed in the technical area. And Archie Knox was down in the uh, dugout, and they had a wee runner boy passing passing messages <laughs> between them, and. Craig Brown was trying to tell Archie Knox to, to make a sub to kill some more time and Archie Knox wouldn't do it. Really? Uh, yeah, didn't do it. And they were trying to get somebody to head over to the far side of the pitch to take him off so that it would take more time to walk over and kill time and it never materialised and it was at that point that Belgium got their their free kick uh, yeah. and scored from the, the header. Yeah. I'm looking at the, the table just now. It was just a five team group Croatia topped it then it was Belgium then Scotland then Latvia then San Marino and we were two points off Belgium so mm. yeah that is what it, it came yeah, down to yeah really. like that game did it really yeah yeah when uh, so that was the end of Brown's tenure um, not qualifying for 2002 Bertie Volks came in uh, do you remember this being very out of the blue out of the ordinary yeah oh yeah definitely I was quite excited by it as well. Like, I think at that time, I always thought that um, that Scotland needed to start looking out with. Um, at times, I mean, even though we've we've got really good managers, I think sometimes we need to we need to just just find other ways of of playing that it doesn't need to be this kind of like you know all gung not gung ho mm-hmm. but um you know in your face 
type yeah, of football. I, I kind of felt at that stage is maybe we need to start playing a more continental style, which uh, might might have been wrong. But I, I liked Bertie Volks when he was there. I, I that was um, that was really the first campaign that I started going to games. Right. Um, so that was first year at uni. Uh, and I wonder, I'm wondering, what year was the Belgium game? Just that we were the, just talking the about. The 2-2 one, I think that would have probably been 2001. Yeah, because see when we're talking about that, and I'm going, yeah, I obviously know about that, but I don't remember watching it. So that was the year that I was, I did a year in Guyana. So I didn't, okay. I didn't watch that game. Right. Un- okay. Unsurprisingly, Guyanese TV didn't show the Scotland Belgium, <laughs> so I didn't watch it live. Um, but so the next year was at uni in Edinburgh, and a bunch of mates who I now now still go to to the games with, we sort of formed a little you know group that would would go to the matches. Um, who you've probably met a few of them as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that 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 campaign like that was that was exciting the the germany game um at hamden was yeah that that's that's sort of one of kenny miller yeah one of my favorites uh, i think balak scored up the other end and i just rem- i just remember looking at the german team and just being like they are huge like seeing <laughs> these guys in the flesh and balak especially i was like he's about six five and he's got shoulders the size of two of our players put together <laughs> um, uh, so yeah I, I had a lot of fun with that campaign and under votes and I think I think again probably when we look back on it he didn't he didn't do a bad job he was very much blooding a young team we were getting to to playoffs mm-hmm. uh, and it's probably coming off the back of the success that Craig Brown had that Meant that he was maybe judged judged a bit harshly. I it's weird looking back at votes because I remember I think that was that would have been nine ten when he came in the door and that's around the time that I think I really started to sit up and take proper interest in the national team. I've always been country over club kind of guy and I was very very much on the Scotland train at that point. But I remember although we were doing fairly well in the qualifiers. It felt like we lost pretty much every friendly almost on, <laughs> at, at that stage. I remember particularly one against Hungary at Hamden. Uh, we get turned over three or four nil. Wales pumped us. Rob Earnshaw scored a hat trick yeah. against us. Um, it, it just felt like a, a bleak. Like I remember one against uh, Republic of Ireland at Hamden as well. They beat us one or two nil. And I just remember at that stage, even though I was just starting to get into supporting Scotland that it felt like we were going to lose when I went to a game. Like it just felt like it wasn't a good time. But yet, we were still, as you say, getting to a playoff and beating mm. Holland at Hamden. But, I mean, the, the thing is, and we touched on it before, Verti Votes had to completely reshape the national team because he wasn't, he was left with an ageing squad. And that was, I think, why probably in, in those friendlies, I mean, he must have used, I don't know how many players, but loads and loads of players. So for every McFadden, there's probably 10 other guys that were capped mm-hmm. to try and find, you know, the uh, combinations that might work or or young players that are up for it 
or are up to that level. I mean, I, I would be incredible to see the list of capped players under 30 votes. There will be a lot with five or less, I would have thought. Because I think we all knew at that stage McFadden you know, had was a very classy player, mm-hmm. but probably didn't know he would go on to be as, as good as he was in a Scotland jersey. Um, sorry. sorry, go on. Uh, no, so I, I think it would be very interesting to see the list of every player that was used under votes uh, and how many caps they got, because there will be yeah. a lot with, with five or less. I've pulled up um, match report here from Wales 4, Scotland 0, um, February 2004. It's a game that sends um, its shudder down my spine. <laughs> uh, Wales always beat us. <laughs> yeah. Terrible record against Wales and not good Wales teams. No, no. When when they beat us in the qualifying for 2014, it was maybe excusable because they had a couple of superstars. And I know I know back in the day they had John Hartson and Bellamy gigs, but it felt like the they had a, a rubbish squad and they never yeah. did anything yeah. except beat us. That that game yeah. in in Cardiff is one of my least favourite of all time because we we should have battered them and we should have actually we scored a second goal we we, we went two up and it got disallowed like so it was, yeah it went, apparently it went out of play but it didn't yeah and it never went out of play and then I mean Bale steps up at the end and does what he does but that was a that was a sickener and then we had yeah. to go to Belgium off the back of it and mm-hmm. get hammered out there yeah. it was a good trip though <laughs> the, the, the team back in 2004 actually against Wales was, was not bad Rab Douglas then wing backs of McNamara and Naismith Christian Daly, Stephen Caldwell uh, forgive me here uh, Richie uh, was, that, yeah. was, there a Paul, was there a Paul Richie? yeah at Hearts Hearts is that right yeah okay Yeah. Um, Dan Fletcher, Colin Cameron Ken Miller he's, he's just one that I've not got much yeah. memory of yeah. Um, Gallagher um, came off the bench. Would that be Gallagher that went on to play for Preston? Kevin Gallagher. Is Kevin Gallagher or Paul Gallagher? It could be. Oh yeah, um, oh, maybe. Yeah, because what we're at two thousand and four. Two thousand four. Yeah. Kevin Gallagher was by at that point, wasn't he? Ah uh, yeah. So yeah. There were young players coming through. Yeah. So it doesn't look like a terrible, terrible no. team. Anyway, um, yeah. What are your memories in particular of the playoff against Holland? And, well, I uh, <laughs> that was actually going to be my first away game, was the Holland away, <laughs> uh, which I'm almost rather glad it wasn't. <laughs> um, the home game that we, we watched, we watched in a pub in Edinburgh. I think, uh, I think down in the Grass Market or um, the Cowgate, somewhere like that. Uh, and yeah, just massive celebrations. Again, like. I've always I've always got a little bit of a thing for Dutch teams. I, I've always liked them at tournaments. Their players stand out, I think, because they're they're quite individual, and that's maybe one of the things that's held them back a little bit. You know, your Bergkamps and Overmars and guys that I always love, Davids and Seedorf, and that Dutch team. I remember uh, the second leg. So I mean, obviously, the first leg, absolutely incredible at Hamden, and the goal is one of those iconic goals in certainly modern Scottish football history um, which just yeah between two players who went on to 
to really, I mean, McFadden is is definitely in that sort of a modern legend in a in a Scotland jersey, no doubt about it. And Fletcher Fletcher was absolutely brilliant as well, captain the team on numerous occasions, and that was their emergence mm-hmm. as international players. Uh, so you, you're then wondering, right, how on earth are we going to pull this off in in Amsterdam and and get past this team? And I remember we were we were in a pub watching it because we hadn't managed to go to the game uh i can't remember what actually i mean it's probably just a student factor with money and, <laughs> and, and looking at actually how much it costs to go abroad and go well i've got 20 quid in my bank account it's not going to quite cut it <laughs> <laughs> so so we didn't make it and then so we'll have watched it in a pub in edinburgh and probably spent as much as we would have spent um, <laughs> and one of the boys in our group looking at it and I, I don't know if it was his debut but certainly it was uh, the Dutch looked at the first game and then went okay right maybe we need to change it up a little bit here and they played Wesley Snyder it might have even been his debut mm-hmm. and and a bunch of people chatting beforehand just like oh, who's this guy yeah, absolute rubbish and I think he, he like he scored one or two and, and assisted three <laughs> it was just absolutely brilliant and yeah, obviously we we know the result from that game and pretty crushing, but against a very very good side. If you if you get it wrong on a night like that against a team like that, it can happen. I, I would probably put the McFadden moment uh, alongside Griffiths in the sense that at that moment in time it was incredible, and people will be able to look back at the emotion and the outpouring that they felt at that point even though in the end it ultimately counted for pretty much nothing. Those moments alone must be, for any fan that was there, must be the number one moments. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, when you're not qualifying for tournaments, these have to be the things that you, you mm. cling on to. Any time that, you're, that you're, you're going ahead or beating a, a really top nation, then yeah, you've, you've got to... You got to hold them in in such high regard. That was a, that was a really special moment, and you, you kind of did. There was a belief then that we that we that we could hold on and mm-hmm. and somehow get through. Did you did you feel positive about the appointment of Walter Smith after Volks left? Yes. Because you're saying that you wanted you quite enjoyed the idea of Scotland moving away from more traditional Scottish managers and approaches, try something different with Volks, but then, I mean. Can't think of many more Scottish coaches than Walter Smith. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think I think Walter would definitely be the right guy to to come in off the off the back of that. Volks was Volks's era was definitely he, he was it, it became a bit of a laughing stock, really unfairly, I thought, mm-hmm. and it also turned Scotland away from looking out with for coaches you know until mm-hmm. where we are now and almost in that way that oh, you know a foreign can't, coach can't come in the players just don't understand it you know that if that's I, I think that's completely wrong um and if that's the case it's it's our fault and we need to change rather than the coaches need to come here and coach the the players the way the the, Scot- the scottish players should be coaches coach i think that's completely wrong but but it needed somebody strong and successful to come in off the back of votes. And yeah, Walter Smith, absolutely. And any player that's played under him will, will tell you um, that guys play for him. 
they, yeah. they really really do um yeah he was he was that that was that was the right appointment at the right time i think i think probably defines the the term presence in a dugout or a changing room walter smith that i don't think many people like probably alex ferguson uh, maybe Jose Mourinho back in the day um, I've got that sort of aura where they walk into a changing room people stop and pay attention and listen I think Walter Smith absolutely doesn't even just fall into that bracket probably leads it um, yeah. up here anyway in terms, in terms yeah. of Scottish managers yeah Yeah. well I've even I've, I've felt that in press conferences and that's not yeah. a stare you want to face <laughs> yeah I, uh, I actually I interviewed Walter Smith I'd love to interview him for this podcast I actually asked him if you do it, and he said, yeah, no problem, but I've not been able to arrange it yet because of the virus. Um, but I interviewed him, it was at Celtic Park uh, in my day job at, at Radio Clyde. Um, there was a dementia charity day getting launched for Billy McNeil and Frank McIverney and Walter Smith were there. And I had to interview Walter Smith for three minutes and I was generally shitting myself before. Uh, and I, he's a perfectly nice guy. It's, it's just the the view that we have, him, have of him as Scotland fans is this sort of powerful figure yeah. I suppose that you don't want to you say the him. slightest wrong word to you yeah. um, or piss him off at all. Um, well, there's and a, there's enough you... journalists and reporters that have that have found that out yeah. <laughs> to their there's... cost but, but but away from that he is a, he, a genuinely welcoming nice <laughs> nice guy. Yeah yeah uh, I, I, would, I would love to have him on here I think he would be one of the most interesting interviews yeah. we could have yeah definitely. Um, he he got off to a, a kind of decent start. I know that we were on the still in contention to qualify for the World Cup in 2006, but then I think we beat Norway. I think that was Kenny Miller. Yeah. Uh, and then we we got beaten by Belarus at home, and that was nail in the coffin. Belarus game. That, that that was a really bad one, and mm-hmm. I, I would say unlike a Walter Smith team to lose a game like that, mm-hmm. Belarus one was a sore one. Because we 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 then went to Slovenia after that and absolutely turned them over. Good three Slovenia team as well. Screamers, I believe. Yeah. It was Hartley, McFadden, Fletcher scored a Fletcher, yeah. 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 And but I do remember watching that on the TV in my front room and feeling quite positive. Um that, you know, we'd been able to go and put in a result in a performance like that. And it was always nice seeing three great goals. We hadn't yeah. you know, kind of stramashed them in, in the six yard box. It was really technical efforts. I'm pretty sure McFadden's was a nice dink over the goalkeeper. Yeah, that that was a that was a great game. Well, there's not many yeah. Not many times that you'll be able to think of comfortable victories away from home, yeah. and 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 that's not against a bad team. That was a good Slovenia team as well. They'd, they'd been at the World Cup uh, only a few years prior to that Slovenia, um, for sure. Zajevic and guys like that. Yeah, they, 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 I think they ran Spain close actually. Um, in yes. Yeah. 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 Um, but the, I think Walter Smith, and I know he, he didn't hang around for much longer after this but I think he'll be remembered for France at home 1-0 that was his moment yeah absolutely I was at that game uh that was that was really the campaign where I would say that I really got into being a Scotland fan in in terms of going going to the games and starting going to away games um because Lithuania away was my first away game uh when Miller and Daly Scored and we won two 0 again. Relatively comfortable. I think the second goal came quite late, but um, <clears throat> yeah, France at home is that's that's a memory that you get to, yeah. <laughs> you, get to you get to keep for a lifetime. Uh, 
and I think at that stage, you, I don't think at any point in that group I thought we were getting through until maybe it emerged that we weren't. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that group was, it, I mean, that that's my favourite group as a as a Scotland fan. Yeah. I absolutely loved it, particularly just because I was getting into it and went to. All, I went to all the so that would have been my first like home season ticket mm-hmm. that I bought, and then away in that campaign we went to Lithuania, France, Italy, and Ukraine. So there was the only game I think then I didn't go to was Georgia. Georgia, okay. Is there anyone else? No, no, I think I think that was the Pharaohs. group. Oh, oh, yeah, Pharaohs. Yeah. So four 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 away days is or three or four away days is some going for a, Yeah, well, well it, was, it was easier to get tickets then for some reason i don't know if we got a higher percentage or something but now it seems to be a scramble you're like getting yeah. worried when you're only on you know, like eight points or something <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh no i'm gonna struggle for the next game um uh, but yeah yeah france at home and yeah that that france team incredible world cup finalists um the the group was just ridiculous. How on earth yeah. it was possible that you could end up in a group with three World Cup court finalists, uh, two finalists, and still yeah. take it to the last game. Yeah, yeah, and and for it to not be one of them that we messed it up against. Yeah, for it to be yeah. Georgia. I mean, it Georgia's probably a place that we will never go and win. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure of it. It's just it's not the type of place that you expect. Even even club teams. To go to the, the long travel, just very different environment. I've always thought that the the less or the more number of Scotland players that are playing football in the UK, the less chance we have of of going to places that like that yeah. and winning because they tend not to. If you don't take yourself out of your comfort zone, you know if you're going down and you're playing. Even even in the Premier League in England, all the atmospheres, all the stadiums are very very similar, and it was all it was always the same. We never we never really out, out with a handful handful of players like your Lamberts, mm-hmm. Scott Booth. You can't think of too many that went and tested themselves on the continent, which not only in a footballing sense takes you out of your comfort zone, but also from a cultural sense, you're you're putting yourself into another language and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I think if we had more players going and playing on the continent, which we might start to see because English players are now starting to, younger English players are starting to go out and test themselves in other countries, maybe we'll start to see it with more Scottish players. And I think that would help us when we go and play in places like that. If you you take countries like Croatia, you know, when when they're young, they all come through at Mm -hmm. Hajduk or, or Dinamo, and then, or Rijeka, and then they, they all go to the continent. So it's not that I want all our best players to go and play on the continent, but I think it would really help in the in the way that we can yeah. approach these games. Oh, for sure, Def- definitely. It, I don't I don't see how there can be any drawback from, from seeing ha- us having four, five, six players who are playing throughout Europe. It, it doesn't even have to be. Uh, for a top team in La Liga or Germany, it could be somebody playing for uh, Anderlecht or Hadrick Split or something like that. It it just feels like we are 
we're a pawn that those clubs will never fish in. Yeah. Yeah, but well, and also because we because the market next door to us is is, is awash with money, that's, mm-hmm. we'd probably all be the same. That that would probably be the route that you would take because mm-hmm. you're like, well, that's somewhere that is is as close to home geographically and culturally. It's therefore easy to settle in, yeah. and I can get more money there than I can by going and playing for an Anderlecht. But you're right. I, we always, when me and my mates, you know, on train journeys out in far-flung Eastern European places, we always, like, map out what our football career might have been. And it's, all, it, it's always going to, you know, places like, oh, yeah, I'd go and do a season with Split and, yeah. <laughs> and things like that, you know. Finish up with a, you know, a season at Flamengo and things. Yeah. <laughs> it's always this really interesting route around the world, sort of staying for a couple of years yeah. at a club, and you know, it's never like, oh yeah, and then I went and spent five years at Middlesbrough and, <laughs> and forty grand a week. Playing too uh, much football manager. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I uh, I remember in in that campaign, the, the one game that sticks out for me, and believe it or not, it's not either of the the French ones is Ukraine at home. Yep. Incredible, incredible day. And I, I I wasn't at that game. I was down visiting family in Leicester. But I remember my dad, my uncle Charlie, and my brother, who would only have been six or seven at that point, and me um, watching it in the living room down in, in Leicester at my uncle's house and being very, very nervous before the game because it was reaching that point of the campaign where we couldn't really afford any slip-ups and Ukraine had already beaten us in the group and it felt like a real, uh, probably harsh to call Ukraine a banana skin, but it was going to be a tough one for us to to overcome. Well, and, and a team that we so they would them. have had Rebrov and Shevchenko up front, yeah. uh, Timoshuk, Timoshuk yeah. behind. I mean, and, and as we, we said before, World Cup quarter-finalists with, with players. So Rebrov would have probably been at... Spurs by then. At that point, yeah. uh, Shevchenko at AC Milan, Timoshuk probably at Shakhtar, and like three better players than we had. <laughs> we did not have a, a a player of that quality, and they had three of them. And and like you say, I I remember as well being pretty nervous going into that game, thinking, well, you know, we might scrape a win here. I think the way that we played in that game, particularly after they scored, we were sitting in the north stand, and I was I was really low down, and I was get so you could get really close, and I I was really I was really starting to get annoyed with the referee. Just you know, you get into that mindset that the world's against you at that stage after Ukraine had scored and we'd played so well, um, and when McCulloch curled, it was this is one of my favourite Scotland goals is when McCulloch curled that one in, and we we had a swagger that day. Oh yeah, we we looked like the World Cup quarter finalists that day, yeah. and Ukraine couldn't get near us. Yeah, it was that 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 goal exactly. I I think kind of summed up our campaign. That that McCulloch goal. It was just everything about it was so joyous. The the pre-planned. I, I still I've watched that goal hundreds of times, and I still don't know how he ended up in that amount of space. Yeah. Like how. How it managed, to, the stars aligned so perfectly and Ukraine fell asleep and the finish was just perfect. And then McFadden's goal as well, through one-on-one and it, it was never in doubt. Yeah. It was never in doubt that I was getting buried. He'd, he'd scored an even better one against Lithuania um, a couple of months prior and he was 
he was walking on water at that point, McFadden. He could do no wrong, and and that that was that that was just such a, a great day. And what I love about it as well is that it was Saturday afternoon, handing in the sunshine. Sunshine. That's, that's, that's a rarity <laughs> now, isn't it? It feels like yeah, all the international games are seven forty-five kickoff and, and a Thursday night. Friday nights. Yeah, yeah, it's just I miss those. And you know, when I interviewed Kenny Miller for this podcast, he said that through his career there was no better place for him a handing. On a Saturday afternoon, fifty thousand there, um, decent weather, and it just felt like the whole country was was behind you. Yeah, yeah, I know yeah. you you could you could never imagine. It. Hamden was packed out for every game. Then there was there was a real. It's not it's not almost necessarily a belief in the national team. There was just a support for the national team yeah. that, that bigger than it than it is now. For some reason, it feels like it's almost sort of halved. Mm-hmm. I th- it comes back to the, the debate. I mean, I've got uh, pals that are involved at the, the SFA, and you hear that the marketing projects. How can we bring the crowds back? Let's do this outside the game pre-match. We'll have this halftime entertainment. We'll we'll do this and do that on on social media. It, none of it really matters. If Scotland mm-hmm. are winning games, fans will be there. If they're not, then fans are less likely to. To go and watch. Yeah. As that campaign showed, if we put a winning run together, the fans come out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's all, it's, uh, without getting too deep into the topic, I feel like everything sort of now <clears throat> has become very, very polarised. Politics are very polarised. They're either you're a yes or you're a no, you're a Brexit or you're a Remain. And I think that that has also turned, if you take the two biggest supported clubs in the country, Celtic and Rangers, it's very much you're you're either a Celtic or you're a Rangers fan. And therefore, for those two clubs, especially or fans amongst them, Scotland's a little bit on the, whether it's on the back burner or it's just mm-hmm. forgotten about, people are very much, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm a club man now, yeah. rather than maybe supporting both. Like yeah, like you have to make a some sort of decision between supporting your club and country. Yeah, no, you. I mean, I, I've I've never had that issue, and, and the more and more that I've got into broadcasting, and you go to club games as a broadcaster rather than as a fan, I'm now like, I mean, country has easily taken over oh, yeah. because that's the only time that I can go to games as a supporter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I find that that distinction quite strange for people not to be able to to make like they, they feel like almost like they'd be cheating, cheating on their club yeah 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 by, by yeah. going to support scotland or whatever nation they're, they're from but i do feel it quite particularly with scotland people are very quick to point out that they don't really give a shit about the national team and almost feel quite proud of it as if it mm, makes yeah. their ties to their club even stronger yeah you know? yeah, yeah no I, I know what you mean I, I mean yeah we have touched on Celtic and Rangers, but all clubs have rivalries and also supporters within all clubs portray that mm-hmm. attitude from time to time. It, it changes. I, I do think that it is that it is something that the world is going through and, and particularly like younger fans, you and I as well sit on social media and you take in all those sorts of things. And I think you can very easily just form that you're in one camp and whenever you, you, you see an argument about something, you're like, well, what's my camp site yeah. on that? Okay. And I think it I think it does just, when you then turn it into a football <laughs> conversation, I think it slightly steers people away from, from the national team. But 
um, I certainly still get very excited every time Scotland are playing. You were uh, you would have been at the Italy game, the the two one match. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, was uh, at the, I was at the one in Barry as well. That was that would have been my third away game. But yeah, the the one at Hamden. That's that's a proper sickener. I think that might have been the last time I actually cried at a football game. <laughs> <laughs> um, we we were because I don't think at that stage. Or maybe it was. Maybe I didn't buy a season ticket for that campaign, but I got tickets. No bother. But we were we were down in the corner. You know where the where the tunnel for the um, for the trucks is. Yeah. Um. So it's at the south. Uh, it's like next, the south next to the away corner. No. Oh, no, the other, the other end. end. The other the end. Other end. Yeah. Uh, so it's like the southeast corner. So we had terrible seats, but it was right down where Alan Hutton got butchered. In the at the corner flag, and somehow the free kick was given mm-hmm. the other way. Like I, I was so raging that night, um, and I mean, okay, we don't defend the free kick, but how on earth that free kick was was given the other way? That was a, that was another game where like we we took the game to a top top nation, well, mm-hmm. World Cup winners, yeah, <laughs> and and there was. Was it Barry Ferguson? McFadden had a miss at the back post. Where he that was in. it. Yeah, it was McFadden at the back post because Ferguson about scored. Fifteen to go. Ferguson scored. Yeah. Yeah. Which probably with VAR it wouldn't have counted. It was definitely yeah. a half a yard offside or so. Yeah. That, that's yeah. that's that's actually I I'd never I don't like I, I know that Hutton certainly was not the aggressor in that incident where yeah. the fellow was awarded for Italy, but. Our goal should not have stood, and also Italy scored a perfectly good goal yeah. from Ambrosini that was disallowed for offside or handball or something that was never a problem. So I know that at the at the death, yes, that should never have been a free kick to Italy, but we should have we shouldn't have been in the game at that point. Yeah, I, I remember around that time and having these conversations with with mates and say, oh, you know, like UEFA just want the the big teams to get through because then they can sell their TV rights for the tournament and get more money for it. And when you, yeah, when you actually analyze things and you pick it, well, no, actually Ferguson was offside and Ambrosini had a decent goal that was disallowed. It's not the case. No, <laughs> it was, it was a, <laughs> but the end was, was horrible. Yeah. 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 I mean, all things considered though, even though that we, we were lucky to be in the game, we were in the game and, and up until the last minute of qualifying could have still made it. Well, that was at a time when you felt that Hamden, and rightly so, because there was evidence there, we could take on anyone. Yeah, okay, yeah, we're, absolutely. You know, winning away was always a struggle for us. Um, but at Hamden, it it felt a surprise if you if you didn't if you didn't get three points, and if you were against a really top team like a France or a, or an Italy, you you expected a draw. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which we had seen in recent past. We drew with Germany. We had drawn with Italy uh, yeah. under Walter Smith. Yeah. You know, the, the, as you say, the evidence was was there. One away win that I think will forever be ingrained in the memory of supporters was, was Fadi in Paris. Um, mm-hmm. Talk me through that. Your memories. Um, I well, yeah, what an, uh, that that still sticks out as as. Possibly the best day of my life. <laughs> that, was, that was unbelievable. Just, you know, beforehand, 
So that would have been my, I think, third, second or third away game, whichever came came next. So Lithuania was my first away game, and then either France or Italy after that. I'm not sure which order. Um, and, yeah, just, like, a really good bunch of boys. Um, both of us had or sort of two, two groups of mates that met up and, and, you know, under the Eiffel Tower and baking sunshine yeah. and, having a good few beers before the game and then the, the huge march that went out from from the uh, Eiffel Tower to the stadium with I mean it felt like we got to almost the stadium and you you look back down you know these massive avenues in Paris and it was just full of Scotland fans I mean they, it almost feels like it wasn't an exaggeration enough to say that there were 20,000 in Paris that day yeah. it feels like when you actually add it up that it should have been more than that because they were still all the way back to the Eiffel Tower when we looked back from about two miles down the road. It was absolutely incredible. And I in the stadium... Was it, was it, oh, sorry, was that a situation that there were more fans there than at the game? Like there were just people in Paris for the sake of it? Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. Right. Definitely, there will have been. Yeah. Um, but even in the stadium, because we couldn't... Obviously, the Scotland end filled up. We didn't have enough points to get them in the Scotland end, so we, we managed to get tickets in the France end... Um, but the France end was the Scotland end. <laughs> there were just Scotland fans absolutely everywhere. Um, and obviously we were hugely under the cost that night. Um, but yeah, when the goal went in, which might have been our only shot, I'm not sure. I certainly can't <laughs> think of many other or any other ventures forward that we had. And even then, it's a venture forward that takes us to within 35 yards of the goal. Yeah. <laughs> we weren't in the box. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and I was, I was next to my me, me and my mate Pete, uh, who he travels to all the games still with me. Uh, and we ended up, it was about, it was about 10 minutes until we saw each other again. <laughs> and, and like trying to look, and he was about, 20 seats to the left and six rows forward from where I ended up amidst the celebrations. It was just absolute <laughs> chaos. Are the, are the celebrations at full time as noisy and raucous as the goal, or are they very different? No, because I, I, I think a goal, a goal, and particularly a goal like that, just comes out of nothing. So your emotions go from really zero i mean a lot of guys will have been kind of looking around and you know it's just a goal kick that you're punting I, up the park i have a friend that actually missed it because he was at the toilet at that game oh. yeah oh that's awful <laughs> um but like i'm sure some people will have missed it or you know certainly missed some of it won't have looked at the touch that he brings it down mm-hmm. and all that sort of thing because it's just at, at times in a game and in a stadium and you've, you've got so many thoughts going on your mind can yeah. slightly wonder you're not like oh i wonder what's going to happen at this goal kick mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so your emotions go from zero to ecstatic whereas i think at full time you know that's your sort of nail bite period that yeah. it's it's probably more relief by the time that you actually get to that stage and, and then almost your your mind can't really work out <laughs> what's happening at that stage <laughs> it takes a little bit of time to settle in that you've just gone and beaten France in Paris um, but yeah I, re- I remember staying we, we stayed behind in the stadium for a long time and there was a bit of a sing song and I remember phoning my mum and dad on the way out and 
and that almost being the moment that you felt like you could sort of relax and, and yeah. settle into the <laughs> into the celebrations. <laughs> that is McLeish's moment, isn't it? There's no two ways about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, another one. I mean, it, I think I think Scotland fans uh, were obviously disappointed when when Walter Smith left, mm-hmm. but. I think deep down you could understand it that he was drawn back to Rangers. I think when McLeish left, that that felt pretty sore that he went, you know, Birmingham, Birmingham City. City. Yeah. Um, he wasn't he wasn't actually our manager for very long, as far no, as I can remember the first no, thing. No. A, a year maximum, I would say, maybe even less than that. And you felt with both of them that if we could have hold, held on to them you know Walter coming you know as he was getting older as well he might have just felt oh this could be the last job that I do and it probably would have been had anyone other than Rangers come calling for him but both managers you really felt that they were they were building something yeah um yeah McLeish McLeish just took on what what Walter had done before on before him and um, it seemed like we were we were going places I would say at that time McLeish probably had a He's cut from a similar cloth, maybe. Not yeah. as, as legendary, but I still think probably had that commanding respect uh, approach in the, in the dressing room that the players listened to. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, he'd had, he'd had a successful time at Rangers mm-hmm. against a very successful Martin O'Neill team and, and kind of, did he take over from Advocat, I think? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I, would say, I would say you're absolutely right. From what McLeish had done on the park as a Scotland player as well, I think garnered a lot of respect. Yeah. When well, when McLeish did did leave, it was a, a particularly sore one. You're right. He was replaced by George Burley. I I remember advocating for Burley to come in on my Facebook when I was what would have been about 15, 16, and uh, shouting for George Burley to get the job because I think he had. Only 18 months or so previously had that really good run at Hearts. And it was kind of fresh in everyone's mind. He did a a really good job at Ipswich in the English Premier League. Um, Before that, um, for a season, I think he nearly took them to Champions League football back in the early 2000s. Um, And he felt like a logical choice to me, but it just didn't work out. How do you remember his appointment? Uh, Again, I think a bit like you. I, I I thought it was the right one. Having having seen that that Hearts team, that will always be Hearts fans' what if moment if they yeah. if they if they'd kept a hold of him beyond what was it eleven games or something yeah. ten games that season they were undefeated Top, weren't they yeah I think they'd only they drawn one or something I mean they and and looking like they weren't going to lose yeah a, a team that could have could have won the league um, which. You know, bit on a bit of a tangent, but Scotland desperately needs somebody other than Celtic or Rangers to win the league. Oh, it would it, it would have be, been frightening if Hearts managed to do it. To be since nineteen eighty five, since it's been done, mm-hmm. I don't think that's that's good for the strength of any league. Yeah, I agree. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think I think I was, I generally get behind whoever gets appointed. <laughs> um, you know, it's not always the one that you that you might want but I think at the time I, th- I think I thought Burley was the right one the the, the game I, I remember vividly uh, were you there in Macedonia uh, no no the, the players that I've 
spoken to that played in that game always say how how hot it was, searing heat, almost unplayable. But that for me that was one of those games akin to to Georgia that we we mentioned earlier, where before kickoff I felt that we had no chance here. Really, just one of those horrible atmospheres, uh, boiling hot afternoon, and it just I can't see us succeeding in this game. Not a place that Scotland teams yeah. go, go and win. Like a, come back to that phrase because uh, that was I was I was working on that game uh, with Satanta because they'd just got the the Scotland away games I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of the crew were out there. I was back here. Uh, I can't remember what what it was, but yeah, that was. That was how I took in that game. It was a double header to start the campaign, wasn't it? It was Macedonia away and Pandev scored, and then Iceland away. Yeah, I think. Iceland, Iceland Kirk Broadfoot yeah. scored. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. And McFadden yeah. followed in a Robson penalty, or vice versa. Yeah. I think so. But you can't get too much further away. Yeah. <laughs> I think guys were working out how to how to do that as a double header and getting ferries and things like that. <laughs> like, that, that. That campaign, and we, we still weren't even that far away. I mean, I remember the last game of that campaign against Holland. If we'd, I know, big if, but if we'd beaten them then, I think, and, and Norway didn't pick up a result, then we were second place in the group. Yeah. But look, looking back, I can't believe that because well, we, we didn't beat Norway. We drew with them at home and then got pumped away, which... Was crap. Well, both game, well, the away awful. game was awful, and the home game was a will almost miss. Yeah. Um, we beat Iceland, or not comfortably, but we beat them home and away. I remember that. Was we were really lucky at home. Ross McCormick and Stephen Fletcher. I remember I was at that game. I think Craig um, had an absolute blinder in that game. The, I, I, yeah, I remember coming away from that thinking, "How have we won this?" Yeah. 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 And Macedonia um, at home. That was Faddy's great run Faddy's, from. Yeah. yeah from centre mid um, but I remember the last game against Holland Kenny Miller missed a sitter at 0-0 mm-hmm. um, I think he either hit the post from about 4 yards or the keeper somehow yeah. saved it from 4 yards um, and after that he, um, Holland went up and, and took the lead um, But They were, they were the two games that I went to away from home in that campaign were Norway and Holland and this was when <laughs> this was when my other mates like that I'd gone to school with and some others from uni started coming along, and this was the start of terrible results for, <laughs> for Scotland away from home. Because uh, I'm sure Holland would have been the first one, and and Norway. Oh no, maybe it was Norway first. And these guys got to, I think, what were they? They were something like, you know, six games in. And they'd seen like 16 goals against and no Scotland goal. <laughs> like these guys were just awful. It's just like you've not you've not even had a moment to celebrate when you've been on this many trips. <laughs> but that 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 campaign was just a a mess. It, it, looking back, it feels like it was. I don't know if I'm if I am being harsh, but looking back, it just felt like it from start to finish. It was awful. And there was Boosgate involved in that as well. Remember uh, at the Iceland game, it, it felt like nothing went our way, and to be honest, it felt like a natural end for Burley. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was a uh, yeah. That's not to be honest, much fondness whatsoever. Um, Faddy's goal, 
against Macedonia, probably the, the highlight. Oh, and, and that that was a big highlight. <laughs> <laughs> but that kind of says it all when a, a goal at home to Macedonia. Yeah. It's <laughs> your big moment in the campaign. <laughs> um, we'll move on to Levine. Um, plenty to, to talk about there. Is that, look, looking back, and we've, we did it with Steve Clark now after a, a really strong season with Kilmarnock, but is there perhaps a bit of uh, false expectation that a manager that's done well in the Premiership is then worthy of the the Scottish manager's job? Or do you think that the the two can kind of go hand in hand if they if they know the players well enough? I think they they need to know the players well enough. It would take it takes a very very strong character, I would say. Uh, to be able to do that, to go from, and of course it's like no disrespect to Dundee United, but to go from working with Dundee United players to working with guys that are coming in from Man United is very different. Um, but at the, at the time, you know, Levine's stock was, it was really high. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, it's kind of similar with the last one. Did I think at the time it was the right appointment? I can't think who else I would have been clamouring for at that time. Because um, I don't think Strachan was available by then. Right. Um, it, might, it might have been between Levine and Strachan. I can't remember exactly. Um but yeah, Levine's tenure. We, I mean, we know the one thing that that's going to get, get remembered. Prague. Yeah, another game that I was at. Were you there? Yeah. Yeah, and it was just, it was really it was disbelief um, when you're it because you, you get to the game and it and it starts and, and the game sort of settles into a pattern and it was it was only probably at about 15 minutes in or something you're looking at it because you're not expecting to go. We're not we're not playing with a striker here. <laughs> You're trying to work out what formation they're playing, and it you know there there is no striker and there's there's nobody really even getting up close mm-hmm. uh, to even playing as a false nine. Uh, and I think I think that's that's the worst I've felt after a Scotland game as a fan. Um, and you know there have been worse results for sure because. Yeah. I, I thought that I thought that Czech team, although decent, was it was it passed its peak a mm-hmm. long time before that. But we made we made Thomas Rosicki look like the best player in the world, and at that time he wasn't like he. I mean, he went through spells, yeah, you know, Arsenal and Dortmund when he when he was a world class player, but he wasn't at this stage, and we made him look that way just by just by not in, engaging them. We were so passive. Uh, it's, I mean, we, we talked about the last campaign, and I was in Oslo when was it four nil in the end, and and Stephen Caldwell gets sent off. Defensively, we were in absolute shambles. I think we had one shot, or there's one shot that I remember in the second half, and again, I think it was Kenny Miller. Uh, I mean, it was just a woeful performance. But I came out of it not feeling as bad as I did in Prague because. At no stage did we go to try and win that game. There are other games where either you've played poorly or events have transpired against you. All sorts of things can happen in a game of football. But we went there to try to draw 
nil-nil. And if anything diverted it from that plan, we had nothing. Absolutely <laughs> nothing. And it, it's, it's almost a, sh- a shame that it almost worked. They because did, it was a fairly late goal, wasn't it? Maybe 15 it to go or so. Something like that, and, and a header from a corner. So, <laughs> technically, technically <laughs> it worked. In, in that, you know, we, I suppose we didn't give them too many chances, but oh, it, was, it was horrible to watch. Really uninspiring stuff. I know Kenny Miller takes issue with that game because that was his 50th cap. Yeah. And he was brought off the bench and stuck on right mid. Yeah. Which yeah. he still when it, when I interviewed him he was still moaning about. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was just uh I remember what I wasn't there, I watched it on T V um, but again, just looking at the team trying to figure out and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, did Jamie Mackey play? Jamie that, Mackey played yeah, right. Mackey. That's what I was gonna right. say, because I've got a mate yeah. that um that was a QPR fan. Mm-hmm. And so he was always really excited. You know, he's like, oh, you know, he's a really, really good player. I always felt for him because he, he almost got tarred with that Oh, Jamie Mackey was playing yeah. in that game, and no, like, and he never really recovered from that as a Scotland player. Mackey was was all right. He scored a great goal for us away to Cyprus. I remember in a yeah. friendly. But the but but the reason bringing up Mackey, I remember at the time thinking as as Mackey a, a striker, I didn't know much about him, so I was trying to wrestle with the idea that okay, Mackey's Mackey's up, maybe he's the striker. Yeah. Um, but no, no, not at all. No, no, nobody was. Yeah, nobody. <laughs> Um, I, I very I mentioned earlier about clinging to moments when you're a Scotland fan, especially during unsuccessful period. Um, under Levine, PK's own goal at Hamden to make it two two is one of those for me incredible. Yes. Yeah, because they went two 0 up as well, didn't they? Spain were two 0 up, yeah. uh, and then it was Iniesta. David Villa scored a penalty, and Iniesta scored, and then Naismith scored a tidy header, quite yeah. glancing into the bottom yeah. corner, and then a really good bit of play between Morrison and Fletcher. The own goal from PK, and then with ten minutes to go or so, McManus horribly misjudged the cross, and yeah. Fernando Llorente stuck it in. Yeah, but when when we equalised, that that is one of my all-time Hamden memories. It was just carnage. Yeah, yeah, and and yeah, that that for that moment is up there with with Griffiths, um, and where was the other one I was going to say? Uh, can't think for now. I had it in my head. A second. Uh, no, no, just, just, just moments. Maloney, maybe that are euphoric, uh, where you just really, you really lose it because that Spain team. You went into that game like we're not, yeah. we're not. Well, they were the world champions, and, champions at that stage as well, and they were untouchable. They, mm-hmm. they were so much better than everyone else. You looked at the team, and I remember Sky Sports News putting up a graphic. It would have been around that time and showing their ages, and you're just like. They're going to dominate for the next ten years. How is anybody going to get close to them? And obviously, like it, it, it never lasts as long as mm-hmm. as you think. But to to take them on and 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 when it looked like it was gone, when you go two 0 yeah. down to a team like that, you know you're no just chance. looking for the full time whistle. But yeah, yeah uh, to get it back to two each, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd almost forgotten about that um, <laughs> before you mentioned it. Uh, that that was an in- incredible night. Uh, one one that I still and the way that some people speak about the the Belgium two two game under Craig Brown they look back on it and think what a kick in the balls that was one that I look back on is Czech Republic at Hamden in that uh, campaign where we scored late on with Fletcher great goal they had a penalty that never was buried it and then oh yeah 
Yeah. It was the boy Cadillac that kept getting linked with settler left back. He scored it. it was a, the striker yeah. that dived was called Razak. Never yes. forget. Him. Yes. And uh, Danny Wilson was the unfortunate uh, accuser. Um, and it, there was no contact whatsoever. Yeah. They, he blasted the penalty down the middle and then we went up the other end. That was an injury time. And then we went up the other end, one last attack, and Christoph Berra went down. You could argue for or against the penalty, but that's not really my gripe. My gripe is that after us getting back in front through Fletcher, they then scored the penalty that, that never was. And that and Levine as well, when I interviewed him, was saying that that was a really, a really yeah. sore one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I th- yeah, I, that might have been certainly where my anger levels peak as a, Scot- <laughs> as, a, as a football fan. I remember being furious that night. And similar along along with just a bit before McCulloch's goal against Ukraine, I remember getting really edgy about the referee's performance. <laughs> hey, that, was a, that, was a, that was a bad one. And then, like we touched on at the start, we went to Spain needing to win. It was never really going to happen. And... Levine eventually it was the start of the next campaign when uh, we got beaten by Wales. The, the game you mentioned earlier, Bale scored a double when Charlie Adam forgot how to use his legs. Yep. Yeah, which was just incredibly frustrating. Um, and Strachan came in uh, similar to Burley at, at the time when he was appointed. I was all for Strachan. Um, it made complete sense to me. Were you similar? Yes, uh, absolutely. Um, I think I think Strachan. I know he gets upset when people call him Strachan, so Gordon Strachan. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, I think he was the absolute right appointment, and they're definitely like now, as we go through the timeline, there was definitely a time before where I w- where I wanted him, and I wonder if it was when when Burley was appointed. I, I just can't, I can't work out like yeah. the timeline of of where he was and what he was doing. Um, but I remember it was at the uh, it was the I'm going back in time here, but they played a friendly against Sweden at Easter Road, I think. And uh, Wilhelmsen absolutely destroyed us down the left-hand side. I remember them cutting. All the entire crowd was singing, there's only one Gordon Strachan. We, mu- we must have been like in-between managers at the time. Right, okay. There's only one Gordon Strachan. And it was just, the, the camera was just cutting to... Uh, um, who was the boy at the SFA at the time? Whoever was whoever was the, the chief exec, right? Okay. Uh, uh, George Pete. Okay. Um, and it was just cutting to him, and and so you could tell that like the whole crowd wanted Strachan, uh, and and I think that might have been when they went. Uh, maybe that was when they went for Levine instead. I'm okay. Not not certain, but anyway, uh, Strachan absolute right appointment, and I think he's a guy that international management really suits i think when he was at celtic he he didn't well he, i mean he'd be able to tell you but I'd, I'd, i didn't think that he and he liked that just in the intense pressure day-to-day mm-hmm. of, of being at one of glasgow's big two i, I think yeah, I, I didn't feel like it at that time it was well I don't know, but but international management at that stage of his life, and and at that stage of his career, I thought absolutely perfect for him. Mm-hmm. But when he came in, we were already on the the back foot in that, a campaign after the start. It was it was almost a write off. My main memory from that campaign actually, um, who would it have been? I think it might have been Wales at hand, and they beat us two one. Uh, 
I can't, I can't remember too much about it. Grant Hanley scored, I remember that. But yeah. the, my main memory is the whole crowd singing for Jordan Rhodes. Mm. Yeah. Because yeah. at no, that Jordan stage, Rhodes he was, was going to be the big saviour. Flying, flying yeah. down south. Who was it? Flying Blackburn and... Huddersfield. It was Huddersfield probably Huddersfield right, at the time before he started getting his moves. But, I mean, he was just... He was scoring a goal a game. Oh, it was... For, for seasons. He, he was, he was the, the man that we had been looking for. And it just never materialised. I actually didn't realise that he had scored a couple of times for us until I did research for a previous podcast, a double against Australia. Yeah. I think another one in a friendly, but um, kind of not meaningless goals, but not very important. But he wasn't given that many chances because no. I think I think Craig Levine might have come under pressure to use him because remember Levine had the whole thing with Stephen Fletcher, yeah, who was who was rattling goals in in the Premier League at the time and. There was just this ridiculous situation where he wasn't being picked for what was clearly some sort of disciplinary issue, but but neither was talking about it. And it was yeah. like, well, he hasn't phoned me. He hasn't spoken to me. Like both sides going back and forward. Mm-hmm. And you're like, surely it's in both parties' best interest. It's to in sort the country's best interest to sort yeah. this out. Just like yeah. put, put your personal differences aside and make it work because mm. again at the time we needed a number nine <laughs> yeah. and, then, and then and then Rhodes was he was really I remember being really excited about John Rhodes but but manager after manager didn't see it they all they obviously saw his record and yeah. and the boy could obviously finish but it, it was it was always sort of labeled that he doesn't do enough outside the box uh, you're 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 essentially sacrificing a player uh, yeah, because yeah. He, because he's not going to offer you all that much, and and manager after manager didn't you know, yeah. didn't didn't really use him. Similar to to Boyd in that sense, I feel because looking back at Boyd's record up here, and he had a decent record down south as well, not capped all that often. And uh, ratio saying... ratio wise, his goals per cap is not that bad at all. But, but it just I... never really was our focal point. No, I always thought that you know Chris Boyd's. He wouldn't. He wouldn't get used in the in the big games. So you'd play Chris Boyd against a, a Faroe Islands because you're going to have the ball in the box all the time. So you can maybe sacrifice your your hold up player, but against a against a bigger team where you're going to have less of the ball, you know, you're you're always going to play a Kenny Miller ahead of yeah, yeah, Chris sure. Boyd. And you're not. You're probably not going to play them together. And it was the it was the same with Walter Smith uh, with Rangers in in European games. Chris Boyd generally wouldn't start even though I mean the the other teams must have been really confused because they'd be like they've got this guy that's scoring 30 goals in the league why is he not playing against <laughs> us <laughs> it was a, it, yeah it, he's one of those players you want the ball to fall to in the in the box yeah. but I think you make a fair point that in build up play hold up play link up play potentially not the, the strongest strongest one but I, I look at like for example though Levine started picking Craig McHale-Smith, and I, I don't really remember uh, Strachan following up on that at all. No, I don't think so. brief flurry. He scored a winner. I think you, you must have been there. Uh, well, that, least, that was because yeah. it's always the one that um, when when I, I chat with folk about that the, that double header with Liechtenstein in Spain, I always say, to them, do you remember who got the winner in Liechtenstein? And nobody remembers no. it. <laughs> I, I remember the goal. It was up the other end from where we were. But to sneak a 1-0 against Liechtenstein and Craig McHale-Smith, to get the winner, I mean, it's forgettable. Yeah. Oh well, the the home game wasn't much better. Yeah. 
Uh, McManus, 97-minute header. Yeah. Um, yeah, continuing with striking, um, I feel like the the Croatia game away was was a real lift off moment for him. Yeah, yeah, and that that was a that was a trip that I it was it's in certainly in my top three favourite trips. Um, and we'd gone out and we we spent you know like a a week making our way up from Dubrovnik through Split and and Zadar. Just had a had a holiday basically before Amazing. before the game and it, it was it was so much fun. There's four of us out there and then we met a couple of other lads as well that we'd known from other trips. Um beautiful country as well. Oh yeah, fantastic. The the fans out there, I th- I think the Croatian fans, maybe up until uh, Albania a couple of years ago, eighteen months ago, I'd I'd have the Croatian fans up there as, as probably the friendliest that oh, yeah? we'd met. Okay. Um and that was on a night when they were they were third in the world, I think, in the rankings. Really, really properly good team. And I remember beforehand, um, we'd been we'd been sitting out. It's just this kind of like big open lane uh, with just bars either side and pizza restaurants. We were like sitting out in deck chairs, um, just baking hot sunshine, just having an awesome time. There was like a DJ playing his set, and nice. it was just like. This is a great scene. Yeah. <laughs> One of the boys who's like he's really into football, but is probably more into the social side of going to the away games. And he was like, Look, they're they are awesome. Do, yeah. You know, would it be that bad if we just, just stayed here? <laughs> and there was a hesitation not from me, but from a couple of the other boys. There was a hesitation I was like, Absolutely not. We came here to go and watch the football. They were like, Right, yeah, but what are we you know, three nil defeat is that? That's surely the best we can hope for here. We sort of agreed that a three nil defeat would have <laughs> would have probably been about right. Uh, so to go and nick that, uh, that 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 was a very cool game to be at, and we knew that because the group was gone by then anyway. Um, but it just it just started to give us a bit of belief. And actually, the home game against Croatia, we played yeah. really really well. That mm-hmm. that was one. Not maybe not quite like the Ukraine one, but you just yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't see us losing this game and we and we didn't. Yeah, the the, the a player that I remember playing in that game he actually missed the penalty sadly, but I, I remember Barry Bannon having an excellent evening that night yeah. against Croatia. Yeah. I always feel that he's one that I think he's he's got nearly thirty caps. I think, but I feel Bannon gets a, a raw deal sometimes. Um, yeah, and I think I, maybe it's because remember earlier you were talking about. Ferguson being a very technical player and that's not really what sometimes is expected or wanted from centre mids kind of more graceful rather than a blood and thunder sort of yeah. approach to well and I think also because he's quite slight Barry Bannon as well I think some people look at him and and particularly in the middle like you can almost get away with it as a winger mm-hmm. but in the middle of the park I think it's just a perception mm-hmm. you think oh we're going to get run over by these guys yeah but he's He's so well thought of down south at Sheffield mm-hmm. Wednesday. They, they love him down there. And I think yeah. that quite often he was played just behind the striker for Scotland and that didn't suit him because yeah. he's better at picking the ball up from deep and dictating play rather than getting it on the half turn with his back to go. Yeah, yeah. yeah but he was, that's in a, just a wee tangent there, but I thought he was a, a good player. And also I think that would have been around the time where Snodgrass really started to emerge um, for us and, and become a mainstay. Yeah, yeah. Snodgrass, I think he's, I think he's a when you when you see a lot of the sort of social media that comes out, I think Robert Stoggrass appears to be the sort of guy that managers want in their camp. 
he's he's sort of good around the squad uh, and on the pitch he, really good good delivery rate mm-hmm. he, I, I can't think of many bad performances he put in for Scotland so mm-hmm. he, he was a he was a player I was like I was never quite sure what position yeah stands out for him I mean more recently he's ended up sort of playing wide right for us he's not a winger no I think he needs to be closer to the striker but yeah no I, I would certainly he would he would definitely go in the in the sort of success categories as a Scotland player I, I actually I hope there's not I, I hope that Snodgrass decides to pick up the phone to Steve Clark and sort out whatever issue they've got because I, I think at the moment besides from Forrest and Fraser we're quite light out in that area yeah. at the moment. Um, yeah. I mean, there's some players you thought might come through and do a job um, a few years ago. Barry Mackay, maybe now you're looking at Mikey Johnston. Um, but in general, there's not much experience out with Forrest and Fraser in the wide areas. No, no we've got and, a lot in the if, middle. If we do qualify, Snodgrass will never forgive himself mm-hmm. for for not sorting out this problem. And I think, from what I understand, the problem lies in in his camp here. And I know that he did a an interview, or I think it was actually on his podcast recently, where he said he would never say never to Scotland. Well, mm-hmm. he kind of has already. Yeah. He, he said that, you know, don't pick me. So if he wants to play again, I think it's it's up to him to phone Steve Clark and sort out whatever issue they've got, or I hope Steve Clark takes it upon himself to phone Snoddy as well. I'm yeah. very much of your opinion that he's an important player. And look, doing a job for a struggling West Ham team. Yeah, oh, and I, th- I think the other players, I, I don't know, but the impression I get is the other players like him. Yeah. And, and yeah. A, in that sense, you don't you don't want them to be arriving go, thinking, oh, why is he in the squad and he's not? Because they yeah. would prefer him to be in the squad. You, you kind of need to keep everyone happy in that sense. When you look at Strachan's um, two full campaigns, we were not far off in both of them. What one do you look at as the, the nearly moment, the, the most? Is it the... 2016 with Germany, Poland and Ireland or the England and Slovakia group for the World Cup? The the Germany, <clears throat> Poland and Ireland one, hey, we got ourselves in a position where we, when we got the draw in Dublin, they should have never finished above us. So yeah. we should have been guaranteed uh, third at, at least. Germany are obviously always going to top the group. Um, but it was the fact that Ireland got... Did Ireland take four points off Germany? Ireland beat them at home and drew 1-1 in Germany. Yeah. So so that's that's where they made up the points yeah. that we'd taken off them. And Poland beat Germany as well, 2-0 in one of the games. Yeah. So that gave them an extra boost. Yeah. yeah. I'd, I'd been at the... The Poland game was incredible. I was out... The away game was absolutely brilliant. Actually, the home game was really... That, that was the last game, wasn't it? Yeah. It's the last game that I cried at. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, it was a, that was a good group that we ended up finishing. You know, the the bottom of the four teams that were in contention, which feels it really feels like we shouldn't have. I yeah. think we were we were all, we were better, certainly better than Ireland. Mm-hmm. The 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 game at Celtic Park against Ireland, we were way better than them. The away game, I didn't think we we actually played that well, but deserved our point and at that yeah. stage I thought right that's them gone they're they're out of this group so it'd be you know worst case scenario we're accepting third in a playoff which we'd have probably taken at that stage but 
to finish fourth. I think that we should have seen that through. And so in that sense, I, I that that really that lies with with the management. That that was a really missed opportunity in, a, in a, what was a tough tough group. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the the next one with England, <laughs> that group was funny because I think it really showed the spirit that the squad had developed under Strachan. The number of points that we picked up, okay, we, we dropped two late on against England, but the number of points that we picked up late on, the number of late goals mm-hmm. that got either a point or a win in that group, it was huge. But like yeah. We would have been out of it if you know, if we hadn't got any of those last minute goals. So yeah, I mean both both sore and and, and we were getting so close to getting to playoffs, not to direct qualification. Yeah. And then you know playoffs you, you never know. But um yeah, I was over I was in uh Slovenia for the, the last game of that campaign as well. Uh and it did that did feel just like a opportunity slipping by you could you could see it you could see it happening yeah after taking the lead against Slovenia though and I maintain that no other player in our squad would have scored that goal other than <clears throat> Griffiths I think that's why he's so important to to us yeah. but yeah as soon as Slovenia equalized and it, it was such a shitty goal wasn't it it was like well, a, and they weren't playing for, for yeah. anything at that stage they they were they were gone and yeah I, I I just think that's that's where you need your really experienced players, just to almost show a little bit of arrogance and and, and show that right, we're in this position, we're not letting it go. But I guess that's that's the the nerves of not having qualified for tournaments yeah. that you panic, you get deeper, and inevitably you give up a chance and and concede a goal. Remember, Snodgrass scored with two or three minutes to yeah. go, and then did Fletcher miss a really there good opportunity? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it broke to him maybe kind of middle of the box, and he, he put it over or deflected yeah. over. I'm sure. Yeah, that, that 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 just had a bad feeling about that game from from the moment Slovenia equalised. It was almost, and I hate to go back to the, the the glorious failure thing, but it was like you were accepting that this isn't going to go our way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, yeah, I, I, I think that that's almost a better way of putting it than glorious failure. Mm. It's when you when you get used to failure. You're expecting it to come and hit you. <laughs> it did that night. <laughs> yeah, there, there were a couple of great moments. Obviously, Griffiths against England. Could talk all day about that. Me, actually, me, um, two pals, Ben and Gordon, did uh, did a podcast looking back at that game in general and the day, the game, just looking back at things. And at that moment, I think we'll take a lot. I, I don't think that will be surpassed until we do score a goal that takes us there. Yeah, yeah, that that was that was Hamden back at its very best. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's amazing now to to sometimes look at games that that can that are big important games, and and there can be twenty five thousand at the game, and you think that that wasn't that long ago against England, and that was a game that for eighty eight minutes of the contest you'd have taken a two all draw. Yeah. <laughs> Because because they they should have been more than one up yeah. by the time it got to whatever eighty six eighty seven when he uh, curled in the first free kick. But then at the same so if you're thinking oh take a two 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 draw at any point in this game, and 
you're gutted when when you end. But I think I, I've definitely I've been I've been more gutted at Scotland games. Maybe it's because I'm getting older, <laughs> but I've been more gutted than I was at that. I was really proud of of what we did. Uh, we were one pass away from from beating England. Yeah. Uh, if if Armstrong goes the other way, we might even win that three one. Yeah. Or just run it to the corner flag. Like we had a three on one there mm-hmm. and we made a mess of it. Um I'm sure I'm sure that haunts him. Be, it'll be <laughs> interesting to ask him. I'm sure he gets reminded of it enough. Um Yeah, but but Hamden that day that was a proper Hamden atmosphere. I mean it was it was limbs all <laughs> over the place. It was it was that was that was a special day. I'll, I'll remember that one, and and not really for the fact that we we conceded late on. That was it, it was it was a sort of that was the perfect game of being a football fan. You got to experience every single emotion that day, and it's against your your our rivals. We're we're they're probably more our rivals than we are their rivals. But yeah, you know the, your your chance to beat the big neighbor. Uh-huh. That would have been really sweet, but. I, I can I can accept that we didn't win that game. There's other games that I can't accept. <laughs> okay. Um, would you have enjoyed commentating on that, or are you happy you were in the crowd? I'm not happy. I'm in the crowd. Definitely, mm-hmm. definitely. I I think uh, I I do I try and pride myself on being neutral in games. Um, I I don't think I could have in a game like that there are lots of scotland games where i think i could or you could certainly i could certainly commentate on them for a scottish audience um i would have really struggled to hide the fan in me <laughs> at those moments and then also the disappointment yeah you know because obviously your cane scoring is a big moment in the context of the football match and particularly when you've got a goal 88 minutes 90 minutes and then 90 three or whenever it is that's just a that warrants big drama yeah and i've been so deflated <laughs> that it wouldn't have been fair to the game but ugh, you never know you, you never I, I know until you're, you're in those circumstances how how you might react because um sometimes sometimes a game just uh it captures your interest so much when you're commentating on it that you don't care about the consequences for you. Mm-hmm. You can you care about how exciting this game actually is. It doesn't matter that your team didn't win. Like you're not disappointed by that. You're just excited by the fact that this is a brilliant game, and that's, that's why we love watching football. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's hard to separate yourself from that when it comes to Kane scoring in the last minute against Scotland. I, I think it would have been difficult. That's what yeah. I mean. I I don't know until you're actually in that situation i'd be interested to see how i'd react <laughs> whether the professionalism would take over because it's not something that you could you can't prepare for that mm-hmm. you 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 say what you say <laughs> <laughs> you do what your emotions do but i don't know you, I'd, I'd have maybe got some tweets from folks saying oh come on you shouldn't be so excited about kane's equalizer scotland fans should be gutted by that mm-hmm. you're like yeah i am absolutely gutted <laughs> But in the context of the game, that's an exciting moment. Maybe I'd have been excited. Yeah. I don't know. It maybe okay. depend who was paying my check at the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> if it was a Scottish TV company, then then maybe I'd have been a bit more deflated. But I think you're right when you say you definitely have license to to be a bit more excited and 
and uh, bias for Scotland. That, Lee McLeod's commentary for that is very much of, of that regard, and it's yeah. great. I love it. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, the, you, you've got to consider, you know, what your audience is when you're when you're commentating. Who who is employing you? I mean, I, I sort of said that flippantly in the last answer, but who is employing you? If if it's if it's BBC Scotland or it's STV or if it's you know Sky Sports, they do they do all the mm-hmm. Scotland games pretty much. Then your audience is Scotland fans. It's not people from Macedonia or mm-hmm. the Czech Republic feed, or really, Croatia. Yeah. That's that's yeah exactly. It's not a world feed. So you can be you can be a little well. You accept that you're broadcasting to a Scottish audience, so therefore you're going to be more pro that. Yeah. But at the same time, it's not it's not maybe. A, a more sort of club TV thing where you, where you can allow yourself maybe to be a bit more of a, a supporter. Uh, I don't know. They're they're very very fine balances, mm-hmm. but I think for a Scotland England game, you have to accept that. Although I think that game was was done on a a dual broadcast, so there was like I think it was STV did it and ITV did it. Mm-hmm. So and maybe Sky might have done it as well. I think Sky, Sky, Sky definitely did it because yeah. Martin Tyler was commentating. Yeah. But there was also uh, Tiltsley did it, I'm sure, for ITV, and yeah. Rob McLean did it for STV. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so maybe if you're doing it for STV, you can be a bit more partisan. Mm-hmm. If you're doing it for Sky, you need to you need to accept that half your audience or more is is listening to it from a very different perspective. So you've got you would have to be you'd have to be completely neutral in that sense. It's funny though, because when Kane scores, it, it almost sounds like Gary Neville is disappointed. He, he goes, oh, when Kane... Famously, uh, Gary Neville talked about that game and the atmosphere at Hampden Park, and he said he never, in his whole career, he'd never heard anything like it. <sighs> when did he speak about it? I remember at the time he said that it rivaled Aguero yeah. um, against QPR. Has he spoken about it since? Uh, I'm not sure. It might have even, it might have almost been off air or something like that, right, okay. or a, in a separate interview. Uh, but I remember him saying that that atmosphere at Hamden was for for two or three minutes. Yeah, <laughs> uh, was something that he he hadn't really experienced before. Incredible. Um, one one player I, I like talking about from from that era, and I think he was just kind of finishing up there. Was was Maloney? Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, he was probably my favourite Scotland player of my late teens, early twenties. Um, such a magnificent brain, so technical eye for goal. In the 2016 qualifiers, he was integral. He was the McGinn of that campaign. Really, he yeah. scored five or six goals. Yeah. Um, and I, I would just love to see a player like him, you know, kind of progress with Scotland again. I, I, I don't know if we've got anyone like him at the moment. We've no. got loads of good centre mids, but I'm not sure we've got anybody like like Sean Maloney. I I remember watching him under Martin O'Neill coming through at Celtic and thinking this this guy is really special I thought he was going right to the top um, just technical ability superb low centre of gravity uh, he could swing a free kick I mean brilliant set plays again like I, I come back to it again I think he's a player that would have would have more suited playing on the continent 
Oh yeah, I would agree actually, hundred percent. And I think that's maybe part of the reason why he's so highly thought of by mm-hmm. Martinez and is part of the Belgian setup. Yeah, because yeah. he operates that way. Yeah, definitely. Is his his goal against Ireland one that sticks out for you as well? Oh, that was an amazing night. The atmosphere at Celtic Park that night was something else. It was, it was really, it was cracking. Uh, and because we played England, I think four days after that at Celtic yeah. Park as well, and we we were we weren't on it at all. The fans almost weren't on it. It was like we were it dream. was like the yeah. That was when I first realised when you know when teams say that they get that sort of hangover of coming back from a European a big European game or something, and then they play in the league. That it's not that they're tired physically from the game or from travelling. It's that it takes so much out of your your mind, like because your 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 mind is is just going from being up right up on a massive massive high, and having this noise directed at you for mm. for ninety minutes. That that's that's the the hangover. It's not it's not that your legs are tired. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely understand. I was that was a great as well. night. We we battered them that night, and they hit the bar in the last minute. And almost yeah. nicked a point. Yeah, I remember um, that, that. That was one of those cr- just a crunch game. We uh, uh, like Ukraine. We mentioned earlier was just very nervous going into it because you knew it was a must win. If we have any aspirations here, we need to beat yeah. Ireland at home. And uh, I, I remember I'm very much my, my foot is in the Hamden camp when it comes to Scotland Stadium. I, I love Hamden. I know it can be improved, but generally speaking, I, I love it. But that. That was a great atmosphere at Celtic Park that night, and I think it did maybe swing a few arguments in favour of let's move away from from Hamden when we've shown what we can provide at a different stadium. Yeah, it's it's a it's a tricky debate. I, th- I think I think it's more. I think the big games, if you if they should all be at, at Hamden. It's the smaller ones I think are the are the tricky ones. Um, when Hamden's not full, it feels very, very empty. I think because the I, I love it full and effervescent with atmosphere. It's great. There aren't many places as good as it. Um, but when it's not, it feels it feels soulless at times. Yeah. I think because the sides aren't as steep. The bits behind the goal, uh, I'm I'm sorry that is a that's bad design. Yeah. That, that it should not you should never be that far away from a football pitch as why, you are why was that done at Hamden I don't even know that I think it's, I, it's not I, like I'm it's assuming, a running track well they obviously put one in for the Commonwealth Games but mm. it was also it was a raised running track so it wasn't actually at ground level because there's not enough space to get it in um, but I th- I think it's a, I think it's a tradition thing I think it's to keep that traditional shape Okay. Of Hamden, so when they did redevelop it, that that's what I'm assuming, is okay. that they wanted to keep that original shape and the original steepness of the sides, which make it they make it Hamden Park. In fairness, mm-hmm. there's there's so many stadiums around the world which look like they've come out of a catalogue. Mm-hmm. At least Hamden, you can look at it and you go, well, yeah, I know that's Hamden, yeah. rather than just the, that's page 34. Yeah, <laughs> there, there's so many dull ones, but I still think I think sometimes these things are just a, they're a timing issue and uh, I mean Wales got Wales did the Millennium Stadium around about the same time as I think we redeveloped Hamden and it, it, it's, it's a cracking 
cracking stadium for atmosphere really good and and bigger as well mm-hmm. uh, right in the heart of cardiff i think i think hamden there needs to be a change with it because at the ends it it doesn't work for me i, I never sit yeah. in them uh, but because we always get our our seats in the north stand but i, w- I really wouldn't want to sit in the ends it's, it's yeah. way too far away you just it's feel a- detached from the game I, I, it, it must come down to, to money. If if they could afford to do it, I don't see why they wouldn't. Especially when you know we're only playing there five times a year. There's probably scope to do it. I, I've seen the one that I always come back to is uh, Real Sociedad. They they had a similar one and filled in the ends. I actually posted yeah. it on the Hamden Road Twitter. Stuttgart did it as times. well. That's right. Yeah. It's, it's it's brilliant. It looks amazing. I, I just. I'm not a financially minded guy. I don't know how much it would it would cost, but millions and millions. See, see if we if we'd done that originally, mm-hmm. it wouldn't have cost very much. But now the the cost of developing stadiums has just increased astronomically. So I, I remember seeing it when they they were looking at that kind of Stuttgart model recently. Whether they they actually did a feasibility study on it, but I think you're probably looking at like fifty million or something like that. It's like okay. it's not going to happen. Well, uh, you need you need to be qualifying for for tournaments regularly, yeah, to okay. be able to, to afford <laughs> that. Yeah, it's interesting though that Wales you mentioned Millennium Stadium they normally play at Cardiff City, don't they? Well, they stop because they because they don't get enough fans for the football people, yeah, uh, sure. to fill it. But, but remember when uh, it's going back a good while now, but when they were beating they beat Italy uh, in the Millennium Stadium. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they were filling it. Right. Okay. Wow. So it's like eighty thousand for a country. Wales. Wales. Wow, that's incredible. Um. Well, what did we we'll move back to to striking just to to finish off here? What what did you make of his departure? Because again, it was very much a, a polarized issue. It was either like you, there, there was no sitting on the fence with striking. It felt like you either were desperate for him to stay or desperate for him to go. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think I did actually a bit of fence sitting on it. <laughs> um, I think in the end, I would I would have kept him on. I think I think the players when all the messages you were hearing from the players was that they were really disappointed when mm-hmm. when he left, and I think that says an awful lot. And I think Gordon Strachan was really hurt. By being let go, um, and I because he believed that they were on something. I know he'd so he'd got what two campaigns, but one of them was or did he get two and a half? He got two, two and, and a half. half. So that so the half one doesn't count, and yeah. then he got two. And yeah, okay, essentially, yeah, he failed in the sense that we never even got to a playoff. But I did I did feel like we were going going somewhere. I, I think I think Gordon Strachan's almost. When you've got him, I think he's too good a guy to let go from Scottish football. If it if it was that his heart, if you felt that his heart wasn't in it, then yes, I would I would have said time to go. But given that he really wanted it, yeah, um, I don't I don't think his I don't his comments on the genetics really didn't help him. I think mm-hmm. that lost a lot of support. Yeah, um, having spoken to him uh, about it. I understand what he was trying to say, but it it, it came across in the mm-hmm. in the wrong way. But when you, as I have done, you know, 
before and after games on BT Sport and often end up just just myself and, and Gordon in the in the Winnebago <laughs> and, and a chance to chat and and you just see how his how his football mind works and that's a guy I think that we we should have certainly if it's not the manager it's it's very very close to that okay. within the setup at the SFA. Is he, is he quite comfortable talking about about his tenure with Scotland to to, to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gordon's uh, yeah, very very open. Um, mm-hmm. You can't shut him up sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, he, and he's got a story for everything. He's 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 incredible uh, company. Gordon Strachan. Yeah. I saw I saw um, uh, it was a it was a charity event that BT uh, ended up sponsoring. And it was it was a, it was a, for a Celtic charity, and up on the stage, it it was I think Peter Martin was hosting it, and then it was Neil Lennon, Brendan Rodgers, and Gordon Strachan. So to get the you know opinions of the three Celtic managers, and Neil Lennon and Brendan Rodgers can talk and can tell a story, and can hold a crowd. Nobody got a word in. <laughs> he absolutely held that room, and everyone just wanted to hear more from him. <laughs> I, I, I do. I, I get that impression from the outside looking in that he would be a brilliant guy to have around that your, you know, that the age-old question: if you could choose five personalities to have around your your dinner table, who would you pick? Yeah. And, you know, people going for uh, loads and loads of people from history, Gandhi and Martin Luther King and all that. But I think. Gordon Strachan would not be a bad shout. <laughs> <laughs> Alongside Gandhi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm very much in the same mind as you. I was disappointed to see him go. And to be honest, when McLeish was let go and things were up in the air, rumours about Steve Clark and Malky Mackay, I wouldn't have minded. I don't think the SFA would, would ever have gone down that route to bring him back so soon after he was sacked. But I would have been okay with that. Yeah, yeah. I, I think he was probably he'd probably still been hurting quite a lot from it. Um, that I mean that was the other thing that because the SFA went all in for for Michael O'Neill off the back of that, which they obviously thought when they were letting Strachan go that it was because they they felt like they could get Michael O'Neill, which I think I think would have would have been a, a fair enough mm-hmm. swap. Uh, in their eyes, uh, when they didn't manage to lure Michael O'Neill, then it became the wrong decision to not yeah. to not keep Gordon on. Um, I think surely they should have already made contact with O'Neill. Maybe they had, or had a better idea of how negotiations were going to go. Remember when Tottenham sacked Pochettino mm. last year, this season? And within 48 hours, Mourinho, oh, yeah. Mourinho was there. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's not as if Mourinho got a call after they've sacked Pochettino. That deal was probably done maybe months before that. Yeah. So you, you would like to think that at any board level, they've got things in place to prepare for sackings and, and resignations. So I, I find it quite hard to digest that they sacked Strachan when the wheels for O'Neill were not in motion. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe they were. I, I know he, I know he had a strong interest in the job. Certainly, his agent played an absolute blinder because he got a massive contract out of <laughs> Northern Ireland from it. I think um, our, our contract offer to him was it not 
pretty much le- like it certainly wasn't more than what he was earning in Ireland, I'm sure. His uh, annual I, salary. I, I'm sure I don't know wasn't. for sure, but it was certainly not what he got from Northern Ireland. Because remember, they've 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 come off the back of a tournament. You know, you, yeah. you can you can start offering money because the money that that teams get for being at these tournaments, they allow you to to do things yeah. like that. Um. So yeah, once once it didn't go to him, I think then it's it's easier to look at the the Gordon Strachan situation and say that was that was a mistake. Because um, I, I I didn't think that Alex McLeish was the right appointment. Um, I think we saw how that. I still don't. Um, yeah, and it, yeah. It, it just it really didn't work out. And I'm sure actually the SFA probably look back at that and think, yeah, we. It felt wrong from the get go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, but I mean, he's a he's a great guy, Alex, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, but it, it wasn't it wasn't the right timing. I felt like he maybe hadn't been in football for the last few years. Just didn't feel like the right move. The current one, I would have I would have gone with Steve Clark all day long. That there are there are certain times when when even though maybe results don't don't go your way you don't get to what your objective is but you can say it was the right appointment at the time and i still feel like it's it's the, he's the right guy to mm-hmm. to take us forward that that's what i feel with with steve clark as as it was you know probably with gordon strachan at the end of his first one the one and a half campaigns you, you're like yeah yeah i can see we made the right appointment at the time and it, i can see where it's going the it's a massive lifestyle change for Steve Clark. I was uh, doing my work at Kelly and the, the Kelly TV sort of stuff. I know how much he valued his time on the training ground mm-hmm. with the players and you know being able to coach them and, and teach them constantly, learning new things, or the players learning new things from him. The last time he'll have seen his squad of players now, it's more than six months. Yeah. That is a massive shock for, I think, him to have to go through. I mean, right now we could be in the middle of a, a Euros, yeah, yeah. And instead, we're preparing for eight games in three months um, with players that he's not going to have seen for nearly a year, and one but of them for, is a playoff for somebody that you know, was a an assistant and a, a first team coach before mm-hmm. he he was yeah, you know, and really made a reputation there at, at mm-hmm. huge clubs. Yeah. Uh, so therefore, working with you know the elite players. Um, to then not, yeah, that must be very, very strange. Yeah, very, very strange. But I'd, I'd, I've spoken to a few um, of the Kilmarnock players, uh, Lee McCulloch and, and Chris Boyd, uh, and oh no, it wouldn't have been Lee McCulloch, Chris Boyd. Um, Marky, maybe. Uh, yeah, yeah, and them saying the difference that that he made within within training, they found they found it inspiring. Chris Boyd saying, you know, like I. I wanted to go into training and I wanted to stay to learn more from this guy. And, and, and just talking about the things that, that they were doing, I, I found it incredible. He was saying, you know, we're, we're working on, you know, shape when we have the ball and when we don't have the ball. And I kind of thought, I, I assumed for somebody, you know, that has worked or has played at various uh, different clubs, countries, and at a very, very high level, I thought that would have been something that, does get worked on but yeah. he was saying that that was one of the first times that, that he'd done that and enjoyed it okay and i think i think that's what steve clark gets once he gets 
the players that he wants to work with in, then they they really take it in what he's trying to get across. Uh, yeah, I think that similar to Walter Smith and maybe Strachan as well, the players listen mm-hmm. to him. He, he's got he's got that cut about him, you know, when he walks into a room. I think that he does have an aura. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I, like the Israel game is massive, and I do also think that it will be Norway that we end up playing. Um. I I was scared of us potentially playing Serbia, but if it's going to be behind closed doors, then it mm-hmm. might not be the worst thing. Um. If if we end up there, because I like I know we're struggling for a really solid centre half pairing at the moment, but I don't think there's any centre half pairing in the world that would want to go up against Erling Haaland. No. Um. No. So. I think probably Serbia could be the best or most most likely yeah. if they're able to overcome Norway and if we're able to overcome Israel. I do find it weird that we're going to be playing them a month before the, the playoff, probably behind closed doors uh, in the Nations League game. It's, yeah, it's all it's all very yeah. very strange and yeah we it just feels like we play Israel all the time now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was Lithuania for a wee while now. It's uh, yeah. Israel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that's well, uh, that's no gimme that game. Israel at home is, is absolutely no gimme. They've got some they've got some good players. Yeah, not at all. Um last last question just to, to finish off. Is there any are there any players that you've seen in your, your commentary um throughout Scottish football that you would expect to come in and make an impact in the national team um in the next maybe year to eighteen months? That's a good question. Um I think although I mean it's prob- it's it's difficult because the area is very congested. Uh, if we're just looking at at Scottish Premiership players, or are we meaning all? But uh, uh, look, go for, go for all. I was asking players that you've maybe seen on a fairly regular basis. Yeah. Um, okay. Games, I mean, but... I mean, everyone knows Billy Gilmore. I think will will be involved for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, from now on in. Um, and I'm excited by that. Others that I would like to start seeing uh, getting a chance. You touched on Mikey Johnson. I think he needs to get a bit more of a run because uh, he, he was a bit injury prone last season, so missed a lot of the, the season, but he's won. Uh, Lewis Ferguson, Aberdeen, I think, although it's really difficult to get in to the midfield. Mm-hmm. Um I, I I would like to see him get in around the squad okay. and just see how he copes uh, at that level. Um, I'd like to see how this Lyndon Dyke situation plays out. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I, not not to say that I think he's the the answer that's going to get us twelve goals in a in a campaign, but he gives us something different mm-hmm. because I don't think that we've we've quite I, I, I don't think we've quite got it with McBurney. Um, and we need to see Griffiths back. Yeah, Griffiths back, scoring goals for Scotland, I think is is really really important. Um, probably looking further down the line, although uh, I mean we're stacked full of left backs and brilliant left backs. Great to see Kieran Tierney um, the other day playing so well and getting plaudits with Arsenal, mm-hmm. and then you've got Robertson captain. I, I, I'm still not sure how you sort that situation out, but <laughs> I think you've got to get both of them in the team because they're both that good. You can't have your second best player not playing. <laughs> um, but what about, what about Shanks up front? Where, where do you stand on that? I, I think I would like to see him playing in the Premiership first. 
because he's 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 had he's he's not he's not a super youngster. Yeah. He's what twenty four, yeah. and he's played as good as all his career in the championship. Yeah. I, so I, I think you get players that become really good championship players. I think he's better than that. Yeah. But I'd like to see what he can do in the Premiership before you can really judge him. I think I think he's he's done well in the Scotland jersey. And mm-hmm. I, I was I was really impressed. And the games did quite a few Dundee United games last year. Uh, and seeing for Scotland, I was really impressed with his hold up. I thought it was it was it was way higher of a level than I I thought. I thought he was a penalty box striker, but his mm-hmm. hold up play really really good as well. So, I mean, we might there might there might be something something there, but I think needs to do it consistently at the top level, which he he I th- I think he probably will will do. And can certainly be in and amongst the squad. And I think that's why it was wise to get him in at the time we did when we were maybe short on strikers. It was with a view to him getting that move at club level, so that if he does become prolific at a higher level, he's already familiar maybe with the manager and some of the players that he'll be around. The the, the, the situation with Lyndon Dykes, I'll go back to when we played Russia um, Zuba. Mm-hmm. I've never, I can't remember the last time I saw a centre forward pretty much occupy a whole defence on his own and I think that I know Dykes isn't at that stature but I feel he's of a similar sort of mindset where he's a just a big nuisance up yeah, front yeah he can be like a Duncan Ferguson I saw there was an article yeah. today that uh, Scotland never got what they should have out of yeah. Duncan Ferguson and it was more directing that towards Scotland than, than Duncan Ferguson mm-hmm. yeah um, uh, and we yeah uh, we, we could do with a big horrible mm-hmm. I mean, what he came up against, particularly. I mean, his goal-scoring record isn't incredible. It's pretty good at Queen of the South, and it was all right at Livy. Um, but that game, where he was, he was up against Christopher Iyer and Christopher Julian, and he made them look so average. And there, guys, if Iyer leaves, he'll be going for 25, 30 million. Mm-hmm. Celtic have turned Julian into. He was. I thought he was probably their best player in Europe last season uh, with Celtic, who had a, a really good campaign up until the last game. Um, and he, he he made them look like schoolboys. They couldn't deal with that physicality, which, yeah, if if we're not going to dominate possession, which with Scotland you're not always going to, if you can occupy two centre halves and more, if you're Artem Zuba. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, by just being a big physical presence, and and he's got more to to his game than mm-hmm. that. It's not it's not just that. He, he probably needs to, you know, there's links to to Rangers at the moment. He probably would need to play his club level at a higher level than, yeah. than living. So he'd probably need to be playing where he's he's competing for European places um, yeah. b- before he could really hold down a place with Scotland. But if he was to choose Scotland, which mm-hmm. is Good sounds coming out from Steve Clark at the moment, but but who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, if he was to choose them, he, he could he could certainly be very very handy to have around. It gives us a different way to play. Yeah, yeah. Turnbull's an interesting one too. If if he can get back to full fitness. Yeah, that's that's a really good one too. I, I think he he would have been capped by now had he not mm-hmm. had his injury. Um, yeah. But it all comes down to how he comes back from that. Yeah. Hopefully the player is there. It's it's still there, and I uh, chat a lot with uh, to Stephen Craigan about 
David Turnbull because he's seen him from a very very young age, and he he said he knew straight away when he was <clears throat> he saw him with the you know the under 18s or 19s whatever it was when he was two years too young, and he said he was he was clearly too good for that, and it, it was all almost the extent where he's not bored because he says he's got the a brilliant mentality but you can see him like in training and in games he's too good for this level and then mm. so he went up to the first team level and he said and you can see him now he's too good for that so he <laughs> needs to go to the next level but i mean i think i think it's good that he that he really yeah i got you okay um it's it's a real shame how you know he didn't get his you know a big move mm. i think he would have well in the in the celtic team uh, even though it's so competitive between Rogic, Christie, you know, for that sort of position behind the striker, I think he would have been a useful player for them last year. Um, I think it would it will do him well to do another season at, at Motherwell and just try to get back to the levels where he was. And if he does that, he won't have any issues in his career. Yeah, hopefully. Well, Rory, that is. Uh, marathon chat we've had. I didn't actually realise it had gone on for for so long. Um, no, but I hope you enjoyed it. It's been great to get your takes on some of the big moments in recent Scottish football history. So hope you've enjoyed as well. Yeah, really good. Thanks, Andy. We can uh, have a pint next time. Yeah, hopefully. All right, mate. Cheers. Brilliant. Sports Social Podcast Network.